right. Well, I guess we can start then. Yeah. Are you going to hit the music, though? Oh, yeah, we should definitely do that. Yeah. Music's nice. This is a professional outlet. We're live, boys. Just the metric ne- uh, process. Process thing. All right. Studio applause. Can you trouble my left headphone? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the newest live episode of Process Potables. We are here at Axe and Arrow Brewing. It feels so good to be back, not only here, but just out doing the pod at a brewery in general. This is our shtick. This is what we do. And obviously, we have had to appropriately social distance, which is important and still is. So wear a mask, be responsible, but uh, safe to stay a little bit apart and, and have a good time and enjoy some good beer here. So we're going we're gonna to do that. And we're going to talk... All five Philly sports teams tonight. We're going to hit it all. It's going to be a long night. We have very, very good insights from a lot of very professional people to tell us what's going on so that you are properly educated as all the sports now return, except, uh, well, baseball's a little iffy. And you'll hear later from Ty Dalbert of Philly's Nation about that. So looking forward to that. This is episode 66, entitled Bubbles Work. As we've seen so far, get in the bubble, make it work, don't get in the bubble, and probably have to cancel the season. Unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, stay, stay quarantined in Philadelphia, exposing more people to the virus against their will. Very fantastic. So uh, before I get into introducing our panel here and everybody that you'll hear from, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever listening platform that you use. We are available on all of them, Google Play, Stitcher, the whole nine, so check that out. You can follow us on Twitter and on Tapped at Process Potables, and our Instagram is at Podcast Potables Network. We have other shows that also have Twitter handles, uh, Power Bombs PPN, which is our wrestling show, Power Bombs and Potables, hosted by our engineer tonight, Corey Oates. Hey now. Excited to have him here hanging out with us, running the boards, so that I can have a little uh, free, free fun time for once. We got Pucks and Potables, our Flyers and NHL podcast. You can follow them at Pucks PPN. And Popcorn and Potables, our movie podcast at Popcorn PPN. Also want to shout out our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. If you are in the market for a house in the South Jersey area, make sure to contact the Andrew Boss team. And if you mention that you heard about them on the podcast, you will receive exclusive savings. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, such as Axe and Arrow, where we are tonight, shout out to them. And more, check out www.processpotables.com. So, joining me tonight, again, we said that you will hear from Ty Dalbert. We actually spoke to Ty last night and pre-recorded that as he was not able to make it tonight so that we could get a good look at the Phillies' opening weekend and what's going on in regards to now the postponement of an entire week of baseball and where we expect that to go from here. We're going to talk union, so we have our friend Paul Catrino Finally on the pod, the host of the Views from the Bridge podcast. If you're looking for union coverage, Paul is an excellent guy to go to. Paul, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. Uh, not much. Uh, reeling over the game last night and just uh, kind of in shock that we're in this point, especially so uh, 
so early into a season where everyone's been hindered from a fitness standpoint, and just to see them doing what they're doing right now, it kind of has everybody floored, but enjoying myself, doing well. Not much to complain about right now. As a, as a generally, you know, back-and-forth union supporter, you know, I had a partial season ticket plan. I, I try to watch the games when I can, but I'm still getting into soccer, trying to get there. This feels like in the time that I have followed the team, the the most hyped and the most promising uh, as far as expectations I had heard. Not necessarily as far as being like an elite team right off the bat, but that there was young talent to be excited for, that they would show you some things and give you hope for, you know, maybe like, you know, maybe this would be the year that sets up the next two or three to be very successful. And coming right out of the gate, I felt like they were a little bit underwhelming. So now with the hiatus... And seeing them come out swinging in this tournament is so awesome to see. Very exciting last night. Coming with the win to make it to the semifinals, which we will definitely get to. We've got a very pro-union panel here. My general co-host for Process Potable, Steve, is joining us, who is about to return to the ranks of union season ticket holder, so I'm told. That's right, yeah. But this time I'll be sitting because I I just hate standing, you know? Yeah, it's pretty bad. You know? It's kind of awful. I'll spend a little... Yeah, I spend a little bit of extra money just so that I, I could sit. So that's that's it's kind of a and so that you're style. not called white trash along with me. Yes, exactly. And the river end. Yeah, freaking sub hubbers. And uh, and another big soccer guy here to talk some union, talk some Eagles with us as well, and and maybe a little bit of everything else. Our good friend Justin Busby making his podcast debut. Happy to have you, Busby. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So I guess we'll jump right into the union. Obviously, winning that game last night, three to one. Jumping out to the 3-0 lead, you guys will be able to talk about more of the specifics. But I watched it with Steve. We didn't start watching it until it was three to nothing <laughs> because we were interviewing Ty for this. So you know, my phone's blowing up because I've I've bet the Union in every game of this tournament so far, and and luckily cashed cashed in pretty well to this point. But I don't think that I can recall a game where they came out that hot. And I feel like in most of my experience as a Union fan, a lot of the success they had last night, especially on those goal opportunities, remind me of you know times over and over again where you see that play coming to fruition and they just can't hit it and every single time last night like it's it's just weird that you figure like okay they'll get you know every so often you get one of those you connect on it you know soccer's like a very very like finesse game like those passes have to be on point got to be a good ball and then you still have to finish it which is probably more difficult than people think and last night every single opportunity they had early they were just perfectly executed beautiful goals and 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 finished at the end so is is that something that you think going forward is it is it a case of you kind of you know is it like a big daddy we wasted the good surprise on you like you kind of <laughs> used all your good luck in one game or is this hey like We've we fought tough through the first couple wins here, and, and and they were kind of, you know, struggle, you know, just get by games, and now it set us up to fire on all cylinders, and this was the example of that, and you can keep that momentum going as a result. I mean, when when you look at how they're playing, especially early on, this is a team that doesn't score goals early, very often, um, and. To be honest, it, the first goal came out of nothing. I mean, the buildup started all the way from the half point. It was just like... Wait, who started that, by the way? Who? Bedoya. 
Oh, uh, no, I thought that was Gaddis. Right? No, he Gattis. was involved in it. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, for, for don't want to give him that don't much know, credit. Uh, I run a campaign against Raymond Gaddis, <laughs> uh, the right back on the Philadelphia Union. Uh, he has not scored a goal in over 200 professional games, and I don't think he ever will. But if he does, uh, I have to donate $100 to the charity of his choice per goal. Uh, so here's hoping for a season that ends in two games with the Union just uh, clinching the trophy, and then they shut it all down. Um, because that would really be nice for my Don't be greedy, bro. Well, nah, Paul, no, I'm sorry <laughs> that you hate charities. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just one of those hot takes I like to throw out there. So I think what really helps, too, is I know especially past two or three years, a lot of people have been out on Jim Curtin, and having him there just kind of stabilizes everything. And he has been, especially when Ernst Tanner left, He's been having the freedom to adapt the system to, you know, the players that he has. Yeah, Ernie Stewart, actually. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, Ernie yeah, Stewart, nah, thank yeah, you, yeah. So I think that coupled with not significant roster turnover, um, you know, guys like Aronson coming up through the ranks in the youth system, I mean, a lot of that's just a recipe for, you know, at some point this is all going to come to fruition, and I think we're finally starting to see that. Did you catch the shot that the broadcast team even took at that? When they were up 3 nothing, they are like, oh, I wonder how the fire Jim Curtin crowd yeah. feels right now. That was great. They, they were still, like, booing him in the introductions last season when the team was, like, in first place for about a third of the season. You're like, I'm sorry, what's your deal with Jim? Yeah. Like, his whole thing was that he was never allowed to implement his system into the lineup. And now that he has more freedom to do so, like they said on the broadcast last night, they're not even totally comfortable with how they play right now. But the fact that they're able to grind and create a chance within five seconds, like that's that's the first goal was Barcelona level build up. It's the thing that you see on Bleacher Report where it's just perfect passing that you simply can't stop. There's no way to defend that type of run that starts at the forty yard mark and makes its way all the way up the field. I mean, he was wide open. He could have got on all fours and just tapped it in with his head. It, he was that open. And the fact that your young players like Mark McKenzie, who's being scouted by Europe, and Brendan Aronson, who's also being scouted by Europe, but by more teams, and Andre Blake, who is easily the best goalkeeper in MLS right now, along with all these like savvy veterans who come in from all these weird leagues, like no one would even think twice about signing them on a European roster. But MLS is finding guys like Ernst Tanner who have these connections, they're finding diamonds in the dirt. And they're creating a cohesive unit that hasn't even played their best game yet. Like, objectively, they have not played, like, a perfect game. And they're still in the semifinals facing a New York City and Portland team that they can easily beat on paper. They really can. It's just both teams have played extremely well in this tournament. But I'm looking at the Union right now going, they're stout defensively. They make maybe one or two critical mistakes a game. And when that happens, Andre Blake just has to react like a cat and push it out of bounds, and then, boom, you're bailed out yet again. So this is sustainable. This is absolutely sustainable, even if they have to sell these young players to Europe. Because when Europe comes calling, it's not like, hey, we have enough money for you to, like, slap a new advertisement on the side of your building. No, it's like, if you want to add 10,000 new seats to a stadium, sell us this guy, like, right now. And... Cut your losses, make your improvements, buy yourself a player that can compete at that level as well, and go have fun. Yeah, I, th- I think when you when you ask the first question, well, is this real? Is this you know, or is this fool's gold? Um, this is definitely real. This is definitely something that they can sustain. Um, and the reason why is because it's taken them time 
to kind of build that cohesion. But the important part is the engines of the team, the, the, the guys who drive the team forward, in years past have changed once a year. There was Vincent Noguera. Um, there was um, um, Tranquilo Bonietta. There, you know, there was there was Harris Medusian. There was all these guys who were coming in. Even got Yeah, you know, he was he was critical as well. Exactly. You know, right. But it changed every year. There was no stability. And I think that was the big problem. Now you have you have a, a solid leader in Ali Bedoya, uh, who's who's literally taken that team by the scruff of the neck and said, you know what, this is mine. This is what we're going to do. And if you guys aren't going to get like get on board, then then see you see you later. Yeah. You know, and yep. and not so much like out the team, but like. Um, Attitude-wise, everybody else has really started to adapt to that. Um, you look at um, how far along um, Aronson has come in a year and a half. He's a 19-year-old kid doing things that you know 22, 23, 24-year-old players in, in Europe have been doing for years mm-hmm. uh, and have are looked at as world-class, top-talent type people. I'm not saying necessarily that he'll be there, but he's doing things that you can see in them at that same age, and, that, yeah. and that's encouraging. You know, and then you look at people like uh, Sergio Santos. To me, he's he's the guy that kind of is the glue, that last piece that kind of fit everything together. Because um, so I'm I'm a huge Liverpool fan. Um, he reminds me a lot of the the Bobby Firmino guy. He's going to mm. do all the dirty work, uh, and when that ball comes to him, he's going to finish. And and you know, with with Casper being um, not Casper like right now, uh, it's been a blessing. So. When Casper gets back to form, having those two fire on on both cylinders is going to is going to carry it on. That's definitely something I wanted to. Uh, we'll see the uh, discussion in that direction because in the 39th minute, is this? I, I think this is just going to be a play that's going to live in Union infamy. In the 39th minute, Brendan Aronson just has like this insane, very long precision accuracy pass that just kind of sneaks along their back line, so finds Sergio Santos, and he nets it. That was a ball. It was, that was an instinct It ball. was beautiful. And I was talking to you guys about this before the pod, but last year when uh, Aronson came up to the team and he was more or less, you know, the alternate or kind of became the rotation guy with Marco Fabian, everyone's like, oh, this kid's the real de- deal. They kept calling him Medford Messi, and I'm like – I'm not there yet. He's really good. Don't get me wrong. But at that time, I just thought he's really good for an MLS playing a number 10. But there's a big difference in being the best player on your team in the MLS versus being a productive player overseas in Europe or even South America. And I saw a lot of flashes, a lot of good things last year from him. But I just didn't see, you know, that, you know, you know, that it, that special moment, you know, I you know, or a complete game. And that that second goal that he set up, I was just like, this kid's the real deal. Because at 19, to have that just kind of vision, um, if there's one thing I always liked about, he just knows where to be on the field, whether it's with the ball or off the ball. He just has, like, these natural instincts, things that you can't even – you probably can't even really teach. And when I saw him make that pass, I was like – Okay, he ain't going to be here next year. <laughs> to me, that was the frustrating part of him last year, is it seemed like he never knew where to be. He just kind of hawked the ball, and it would constantly pull him out of out of position, which would pull Ali out of position, and then it was just like a snowball effect. So when, when they got broken down, it was on that counter because he was out of position. So far in the six games in 2020, you know, he's definitely shown that um, he's got a better understanding of the role and I think a lot of that falls back on what Jim Curtin has been trying to do with, you know, trying to teach these guys this whole new system that, like, he lives by. 
And I think there's also something to be said, too. I mean, last night was a pretty big game. Um, it was nationally televised. He was one of three players that reports came out, Jonathan Tannenwald of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, teams that were there specifically to scout Aronson was uh, Frankfurt, Freiburg, and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, Celtic had someone there to um, uh, scout Mark McKenzie. And then um, is it Gianluca Busio from Sporting Kansas yes. City? Now, with a name like Gianluca Busio, he had Juventus, Fiorentina, Milan, as well as a couple of um, teams from the Netherlands, PSV and Feyenoord. Uh, before coming here, I also read now Manchester United is starting to look at him. Um, but it's pretty funny because, you know, uh, my, our friend Michael Borton on Twitter showed the, uh, the poopy face that Gianluca Busso had when he got subbed out of the game. And for him to kind of have a subpar performance in front of that kind of big game, big moment in front of these scouts while Brendan Aronson just owned it was really awesome to see. It's free real estate, you know, like if these play, if these scouts are going to come out and think that these other teams are just going to roll over the union because they don't have a unique style of play, then you're just going to be really surprised to see that there's a 19-year-old kid from Medford who's like really good and is like much better than the opposing player on that team. You know, it's I'll take it every time, you know. Uh, anytime you get a chance to bet on a union team that's playing at this level, just do it because... They're going to have to play the winner of Portland, New York City, and both of those teams are without question beatable at this level if the Union even come out and play 70% of their game. And one of the only three teams that LAFC have not beaten this year, one of them is the Philadelphia Union. Oh, wow. So, like... And uh, New York's definitely beatable because we're playing on a soccer field and not a baseball field. Yeah. Big know, advantage for us. Without question, when you're used to training on a minor league field, then it's just... Yeah. Between the two of those teams, is there a preference you would have, like who you think they have a better chance against? Not, not for me. Not for me. I think they'll, I think they'll be either one of them. Uh, I am more... I am more fearful of Portland when they're at their best because their two strikers are coming into form and they also have Valeria and Blanco that are A1 a MLS talent. So... When they're, when they're on, they're rolling, and they did play pretty well in their group stage as opposed to New York City, who only scored two goals and snuck in on a technicality because I mean, the LA Galaxy beat the Houston Dynamo in the 90th minute. If, so they're the, they're the fourth-best third-place yeah. team. Like, okay, great. <laughs> I'm really afraid but of they, that. I was like they, the Phillies the past few years. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing about NYCFC, though, is they have the, the history of just being union killers. Um, you know, like they, they come up big against the union, even like two years ago when they, they were good, but they weren't really like the, the solid team that everybody thought they would be. Um, they came in to, to, you know, PPL and just kind of killed us. Subaru, I apologize, Subaru Park. And just, and just nah, kind of changed it, it every like three years. Yeah, Don't yeah, worry, yeah. It, it'll be something else. It, it, they crushed us like four to one or something like that. And it wasn't even that close. It, it could have been like yeah. seven nothing. So. Dude, I was there. Um, What's his name? A Spanish striker who just nailed it from the 50-yard line. Davi Villa. Yeah, I was there for that. That was definitely one of the uh, lowest of the lows at Cena Union. <laughs> I was, I was sitting the, in the press box going, Are you, he um, did not just well, shoot nice that. <laughs> I, I, I never once no, saw like somebody. Watching it from above, like watching it arc up, I was like, that's not going to beat Andre Blake. And then 
Yeah, we, it was in. where our seats were. Like we had a perfect line for it. When he struck that ball, uh, Steve legit didn't even. He didn't react. He just walked straight down the stairs and was gone. What? He just walked it off. <laughs> it's like it's like. It's not you, the first you, time he's done that either. You, but you saw me. as soon as he hit that ball, you know from. 55 yards out. Steve was generally always looking for the, the fastest way to get out of there. So. I, I, that's fair. I don't think <laughs> he ever hey, made I like it to beat the traffic. But, so. but to <laughs> your point, because I actually, I forget what they were talking about on WIP the other day when I unfortunately had it on for a few minutes, but I almost called in in regards to, it's probably about it the Sixers because that's what I'm going to tie it to a little bit. But when you talk about a team in this example, you know, NYCFC being a union killer in the past, I think a lot of the things we've talked about with the union now and and the praise for them one of the biggest points is that they are not the same team that they have been and it's one of those things that's so frustrating across all sports and we're all guilty of it sometimes but obviously talk radio is the worst one with it and it's always usually without any context as we know because people talk about oh like the Sixers lost in the second round this year and and they lost the second round that year and things like that they were never the same team. They act like this is the same team that keeps going out and getting stuck. But they are very, very different teams. Yes, they have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But one year, it's Rocco and Dario. And the next year, it's Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. And this year, it's Tobias Harris and Al Horford and Shake Milton. Like, it's not the same team ever. So, like... When you make those comparisons, uh, there is a historical relevance to that, but I'd like to think with the fact that we're talking about all these positive changes the union have made both in place style and in development of talent, and especially young talent. Like I was telling Steve watching that game last night in you know the five or, or six years at least that I've been watching games of theirs and going to games and sitting in the river end, I've never seen this team have remotely this much speed. They have never been close to this fast. Oh, that, that one goal that uh, Santos had. He was because burning the field. He dude. just he just blew Graham Zussi in the you dust. You know NBA which Jam when you turn on the turbo and the shoes turn a different color, man? That yeah. was him, dude. dude the turbo. Shoes light up green and blue and just start And then going. finish it off that beautiful chip over it. Oh, man. He was... Yeah, he burned them. And then... Uh, and, and I guess he's okay because it wasn't long into the... Uh, I think around the 56th minute, they took him out in favor of Vilsinho. So I guess it's just he picked up a knock, but I'm like, you know, he deserves an early rest tonight because he... The one, thing, the one thing with Sergio um, is there's always a question on his health. Like, is he, is he going to pull up with some sort of muscle issue? He's always had these, these, like, you know, little irritating type of injuries. Nothing that's ever really kept him out for a long period of time, but there's always a little something. So I think that's, that's just a, like, a, like a trigger-heavy, like, let's pull him off before he pulls one. And you guys brought up El Senior. The, the last question I have, and if you guys have any other talking points, feel free to hit that. But the last question I had was in watching all the games in this tournament and in watching last night, last night was the first time that, that I really remember seeing, and I'm sure they probably go back and forth on this, but usually I've seen El Senio in there, and then he plays about you know, 60, 65 minutes, and that's about what you can get out of him, and then usually you sub form. Last night they kind of used him as the super sub and brought him in to replace Santos with, with two games left in this tournament and arguably maybe the two biggest games in the Union's history uh, to this point. You know, What are your thoughts on, on how you would prefer they go about using El Senio? Do you like him? Starting and needing to come off, you know, somewhere between like sixty and seventy, or do you like the idea of bringing him in at the end for a fresh twenty-five or so? Don't start him. 
he's very old and should not be running that much. <laughs> yeah, because the one knock you can put against Jim Curtin is that he doesn't really know how to do substitutions mm-hmm. super well. Yep. So seventy second minute. Yeah. And now he has five yeah. substitutions to screw up instead of just three. <laughs> yeah, so. so the pressure is yeah. really on <laughs> in yeah. those moments. It, it is super critical that they not start El Senior because they be honest, do I don't think El Senior wants to start anyway. Well, I mean, to his credit. Uh, yeah, why would you? <laughs> to his credit, that also goes to Aronson, too. He's pretty much taken that spot from El Senior and was like, no, nah, this is mine. And what's awesome is that you can see he's really feeding into the kid, El Senior feeding into to Aronson, and like, like, no, go with it. I'll come in when you're tired, and I'll embarrass fools and, and just nutmeg everybody. Um, which is is what El Senior yeah, does. That's what you want from a veteran, a, a captain, a leader, all, all those things. So you, you love to see it. Yep, you love and, to and, see it. And you know the, this this city in general, with all the sports, loves to talk about the idea of losing cultures and stuff. I mean, that's another credit to the union is that like even though they don't have the the trophies and and the championships to show yet, they are they have changed the culture and the perception there, which. You know, I think the whole losing culture can be overblown, but creating a winning culture, it can't be overstated. Yeah. yeah so because at least it existed for a period of time. Like it's this is no longer them sitting like as basement dwellers in MLS. It's like people oh, for are sure. they're forced to pay attention to this team now because from now on it's the they're the only teams that are playing each night. And if people want their fix, they're going to have to deal with how the union play. And that's really they're grinding out defensively. Getting a lot of fouls called against them. That's why Jose Martinez is the most beautiful human on planet Earth because that guy will just tackle <laughs> I love him. anybody. Dude, he took when he took full studs to the face in that second game. Yeah, put, put he, a he, hole in his cheek in, instantly. He's Philly. <laughs> let's go, and that's it. And when he comes, when he plays the game, man, he plays it as any any description of any sports team ever. You want you want grit, you want passion, and that's what this kid gives you. Like he he is just like I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna stop until somebody either pulls me off. Or the game's over. But to also be silky smooth on the ball and be able to start a build-up and then to be able to score within 15 seconds of a team realizing that they're screwed, you're already screwed. Yep. You're, the union are just – they're finishing clinically. They're bullying people in the midfield. They're holding on defensively. It could be better, but nothing's perfect, they, especially they have, in this league. They have that killer instinct now. Yeah. Uh, and may, maybe yeah. not full-blown. But it's it's there more often than it's not. As as uh, Sixers fans, we love bullies. Yeah, yeah. definitely cool. lots. Of it. It's been really cool this season too. Like even back when the union had first started and the Sixers were still in full swing, to see guys like Josh Richardson, uh, who's also new to the city, which is even better. Like really embracing the union. You know, a lot of the guys on the Sixers specifically are big soccer guys, so it's cool to see. Yeah, I feel like the you know when people talk about four for four and they leave the union out, I feel like it hasn't helped that I don't think that the other teams have really like embraced them and and, and you know brought them in uh, necessarily where I think they could help with that. And I hope that the Sixers kind of doing that, being the team that really seems that like they've extended the olive branch the most in my eyes, can be something uh, positive to look forward to in the future for the union as well. That's, that's a good point. But I will also say that the union also didn't do themselves many favors. Um, from, you know, a couple, I mean, there's a few Well, Kevin Durant's spent. not helping for me, but that's a... Yeah, yeah. We can. Is that a problem? He's one of the most popular basketball sn- players on planet Earth. He's a snake and whose he, team's mascot's uh, a snake. Uh, yeah, I mean, it fits. It fits the profile. If he's going to own mm. any MLS franchise, he's basically telling everyone, you think I'm a snake? I'm going to buy some snakes. And we'll now he's, see. Now he's a minority owner of a team. Everyone's getting into the soccer game now. So, like, you know, 
catch up before the inflation kicks <laughs> yeah. in, and you have to I pay way the term too much. For Kevin Durant is a BBB, but you know that's one of those if you know you know things. You know you know, <laughs> um, but you know the, the union also didn't do themselves any favors. There was a few year span where the Sixers were still in the process. The, the Phillies were just doing nothing. Eagles weren't quite in that you know Super Bowl form yet. So, I, I mean the. The union had their shot to really just take over the city, and they di- unfortunately the timing didn't line up. But I hope you're right, Dan, that I hope that this is finally the start of them getting some uh, respect. I did see somewhere on Twitter that on this um, today's Philadelphia Inquirer, they had like a bunch of ads and like no mention of like what is probably the biggest game of the union's well, of course history not. right now. You can't so go. It's, but you know, we rip traditional it. media for a lot of things, but especially for something like that, you just can't count on it. Like, yeah, I w- I would love for people to give us a chance to be where they go for some Sixers takes, but I understand that you know there is still plenty of you know bigger media coverage yeah. well, of a team like the Sixers. But now talk about the Union and how they're neglected the most easily. Then that's definitely where you really have to appreciate you know your Paul Catrinos and your views from the bridge. I was going to say right. to, to, to go get that kind of information. That's where your that's where your Twitter, uh, Twitter sphere comes into play. That Twitter game. Yeah, just ignore yeah. Michael Bourne at all at all costs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a coward. He didn't even think uh. the team was going to win last night. <laughs> I believe the team was going to win. I'm sorry. What? What's his that? He's 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 a coward. No, he he couldn't commit. He couldn't, he couldn't commit. commit. No. Couldn't commit. I mean, that's the, the story of his life, though. He can't commit to anything. Ooh. So, so if you have, oh, so if you have to put money on it right now, how do you think this ends for the union? Just as far as the MLS is back tournament, it's it's tough. I think I think it's tough. Like I want to have all the confidence answer. in the world and say that they're going to win this thing, but at the same time, like you know, I'm from here. Like it's I can't. They don't, they I can't don't have say to that. win this to be no. They don't consider a success. What they've done already is already they, they've won already. Okay, last I'll, night, I'll last just, night was, they need to make it to the finals though. They need to make right, it. To I'm just going to speak on behalf of everyone. One. They're going to lose in the final. You know, after extra time and penalty kicks, and that's, that's and that's probably, okay. That's probably true. <laughs> that will probably they true. go to penalty kicks in the final of a tournament? Uh, like yes, this? they yeah. will. Yeah. They oh, are not disgusting. doing any extra time. In oh wait, any they're of not these doing games. any. Nothing. Nope. Nothing. Oh, nope, wow. they're going straight to it. They said uh, we don't have time for this. Let's oh God. that's good. Speed it up a little bit. That's terrible. I always think they should do the golden goal rule. They let them play with less players, and oh. the first team to score. Game over because it actually is the game of soccer being played and not just a crapshoot. Yeah. So. Hmm. Like when, when hockey adapted the the three on three, I think it really really helped it for the better. Like yeah. I I I, th- I could really get behind like a, a seven on seven soccer field. Later. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. Just play it on New York City's field every time and it like matches <laughs> there the dimensions. Well, there, there's really there's like nice. a large population actually like going to like trying to get the. Penalties from the 1996 season back into like oh my god uh, they used to do the run up penalties <laughs> yeah, man it was it, crazy start, it start from half uh, from the the it was like line. a hockey penalty and you have basically. five seconds to shoot the goalkeeper can't come out past a certain point yep. and it's like but you had to make a 50 perfect. yard sprint before yeah, yeah. and in five seconds and shoot the ball while the goalie was charging at you like it's it was intense so it was is the intense. XFL essentially <laughs> the first yeah. time around yeah. they were trying a lot of yeah. stuff out <laughs> yeah. They should just lower a smaller field out onto the regular field. And it's just mm. like, this is the overtime arena. They can have the ball and boys. And all the and lights go down. Have some girls run out. They can now run the, they now can you're run the mini nets out people. there. Run the mini nets out there. And first person hit a mini net. <laughs> well, Busby, you talked about being from here, which I assume is really feeding into the whole Negadelphian 
mindset that we generally do have, which which is very real. I, yeah. I know me and Steve suffer from that tremendously as well. Yep. I'm sure many of the people listening do, which I think is a good segue into the Eagles because I hate to break it to you, but I'm very, very Negadelphian already for not only the Eagles' upcoming season, but the NFL because, first, I don't think, I'm not even, don't even think it's going to happen. Uh, there's no way that they're going to be able to do a bubble, which means it's not going to work, which baseball has already proven, which you'll hear us talk about again later with Ty Daubert to make sure we keep plugging along with that coming up. But to talk about where the Eagles are at, as far as last year, everyone's going to talk about the playoff game. Everybody's going to talk about the clowny hit. And the whole time since then, it's been the whole Carson Wentz debate again. And then they go in the draft and they draft Jalen Hurts, which uh, doesn't really help the situation at all. But it seems like most people have come around and gotten past that. But now we still have, like, this whole Wentz thing is this giant topic right now. He got left off the NFL top 100 players list when I think it was two years ago. He was number three. Mm -hmm. He's not even on there. And the whole story for him last year until that playoff game was he was guiding them to a division title with a practice squad, which was very true. And... You were hoping that come this offseason that they were going to be able to retool, get healthy, get younger, and we are not even technically at training camp, and we still don't really know how training camp is going to operate or how the season is going to operate. There's no preseason games, Or what's going on with preseason. We have no idea about any of these things, and we already have Marquise Goodwin opting out of the season. Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles again out for the season. Alshon Jeffrey on the physically unable to perform list. And Lane Johnson, Nathan Gary, and Jordan Maialata all on the reserve COVID-19 list. So that's already a huge portion of reinforcements and, and big names for this team that have asterisks next to their name already, potentially missing camp, missing regular season games, missing entire seasons. You combine that with Malcolm Jenkins leaving, arguably the team's real number one leader. And then the biggest thing was receiver help, and Jeffrey's on the pup list. We have no idea what to expect from Deshaun Jackson at this point in his career, who played, you know, like three quarters last year, I think, total. Yeah. And you draft Jalen Rager in the first round, which by many people that I trust and, and my limited but somewhat review of his film, I'm pretty high on and don't mind the pick, but there's... Several people that I trust that said they thought he was the best receiver in the draft. That's great. A large consensus that I saw as well, though, thinks that he could have been a second or third round receiver. So he seems like probably the highest variance receiver picked in the first round for sure. And one of the highest variance players that there were at all. So unloading all of that, it's already difficult to feel like this Eagles team can even achieve the same heights as last year, being that they, it doesn't really seem like they brought in anybody at this point that's going to really provide Impact. a substantial bang for your buck compared to what they did have last year. And then you combine that with how does a training camp and a season even look. Uh, Steve, I guess we'll start with you. You know, Based on all of this and, and anything else you want to bring to the table, I mean, let's, let's at least assume they have a season because obviously if they don't, then the whole conversation is for naught, but... If they do, I mean, what you know, what what is your expectation at this point based on the information we have for this team? Oh, and the other thing I forgot is that they also don't have a offensive coordinator. Oh yeah, that's right. Forgot about that. Well, <laughs> that little detail. <laughs> if there's one glimmer of hope I do have, it's that if there's a team that uh, has experience with having 
that this many injuries playing with this many guys literally off the street or the practice squad. It's Carson Wentz and the Eagles. I mean, true. I, was it Greg Ward? Like I, I'm not even really remembering his name, but yep. you know he's to, ready for the but, Pro Bowl this season, baby. Yeah, Let's like go. he's <laughs> our number two, I guess. But I, I, best receiver on the team than me right now. <laughs> so Rager really pops off quick. It's going to be happen. strange, man. Like you, you can't really pre- predict anything. But I mean, I looking at the at least the division. Um, the one thing that I guess that does bother me, as far as I know, like no one on the Cowboys has op- opted out. So that's probably our main competition. As for, I'm not really afraid of the Giants or the. Um, I mean, Dak has his contract situation and Zeke's yeah. a, a head case, but yeah, so, at this point, it seems like they're all there, and they were know, able to draft C.D. Lamb, who we thought might actually fall to us, which was pretty disappointing. Yeah, that, that was pretty gut wrenching. But you know, then I'm not afraid of the um, the uh, the football team that Washington plays in Washington. <laughs> um, What's that team called? They're the Washington football no name team. Foosballers. Yeah. Okay, but like, what's their actual name? That. Washington. The football the, team. It, Washington in, football in, team. In my, in my calendar, yeah, which. No, no it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Look, I, I, I kid He's you the, not. Dan Snyder's the, the most petty person. I showed this stand to Dan. Like, Eagles at, Eagles football, at team. football team. That's on, like, my Google calendar. Like, when they automatically, you know, if you select the, the team schedule, so automatically import to your iPhone. Like, it just says awesome. play football team. So, um, I mean, I guess I'm They're, not afraid of a generic is place football in team. City. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I mean, I. All things COVID aside, I think they definitely. I'm looking at at least nine to ten wins. So wow, that's a, in that's a full season for yeah. you. you know, that's full optimistic. season, you know. Dallas is going to be our main competition, and but dude, who who the hell knows? It's just like so hard to predict right now because it. I mean, you did talk about the. The Cowboys being the main competition, you look at the r- football teams and the Giants drafts, and they're not something to laugh at. Like they do have like a core in place that if it is successful, it does really put them up as like not a laughing stock, not a team that you need to laugh. Showed some at. promise at the end of last year too. Yeah, yeah, and it's just uh, it's gonna be it's gonna become one of those divisions that if their young cores all stay in place. It's going to be hard to win that every year, like, looking down the line. But, obviously, we can only speculate about this season, which you don't even know what the circumstances are going to be. There's going to be – I mean, you look at Philadelphia, and they really do have that home field advantage. There is really not many places that compare to playing at Lincoln Financial. Well, let's just say throwing all things COVID out the window, because obviously none of us can predict that or say that. Like, where are you guys at? Like, how do you see this team competing this I'd year? I'd say the same as you. I'm thinking 9 or 10, just in. It's just super. I don't – I can't predict anything else because there's so many factors that haven't played out from a roster standpoint yet to the point where I can confidently say that, like, this is a team that's going to the NFC Championship. Or, like, this is a team that absolutely sucks. It's just there's so many pieces there that you don't know how they gel, you don't know how they operate in the locker room because there can't be that much media there to speculate on all those yeah. things. You just you have no insight to what these teams are going to be doing down the line yeah. because everything's going to be locked I mean, down. I can tell you how that locker room is going to operate because that's why I brought up Malcolm Jenkins because that's my biggest fear yeah. is that yeah. I don't trust – 
like this is the year that you have to hear about Carson Wentz being the locker leader room guy when that's always been a staple thing for a franchise quarterback to be and he's got the money now he's got the contract like you've got to start hearing it like I've never heard anything poor about his leadership but you've heard so many stories about Malcolm Jenkins and how he operates in the locker room on the field in, in the world in general, what he does for charity, how he's an entrepreneur, how mm. hard he works still to this point in his career, like everything about him. I, I think the loss of him is significant. I, I'm a fan of Will Parks. I know he's a local guy as well. And I think that he can be serviceable on the field for sure, but he is not going to fill the shoes of Malcolm Jenkins probably in, in any regard, not on the field, no. nor especially in the locker room or in the community. So... If Carson Wentz isn't going to make that step, I, there, there's no one else on the team that can. It has to be him, and, and I'm just not sure. Like, I love Carson as a franchise quarterback. I will defend him to the death. I, I was telling somebody the other day that I don't care about those top NFL 100 lists because if you had the leagues do a fantasy draft starting today, he's going to be a top 10 pick. It, there's no doubt in my mind that he would be one of the first 10 players selected off the board. He's an elite franchise quarterback in the prime of his career right now. And was going to be the MVP the year we won the Super Bowl. I have no doubt in my mind we still would have won the Super Bowl if he was healthy. And then has led like led the team to the playoffs again the next year. Nick Foles carried it the rest of the way, but still got them in position again. Took them there last year, and a cheap shot rolled him out that would have knocked out anybody. But the NFC is good, and I think they got worse. And I just don't buy that this team as constructed when I can't believe in the receiving core, and I can't really believe in the defense of the secondary, uh, other than the addition of Darius Slay, which I love, but I just don't think it's enough. Yeah. That man, right now, I'm sitting at seven and nine, eight and eight. So, so for me, I, I'm, I commented on the the Negadelphia thing, right? Um, I'm surprisingly not very negative on on the team. Um, because I don't know what to expect. Not with the season. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm ex- fully expecting there's going to be a season. Yeah, that's but, what we're trying to do here. You're, you're all, me, you're all bailing out. No, but for me, what I'm saying is this team is going to be a tale of of two of of two halves. Basically. Oh, so they're going to do good or bad? Wow. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so what you're going to see, you're going to see a year of transition. So if this team is below 500, come getting close to that trade deadline time, you're going to see pieces move. Zach Ertz, potentially. I mean, Dallas Goddard it has been arguably better than him the last two years. Um, Not two years. Last year, year maybe. Uh, yeah. I would argue towards the end of of the previous year. He was he was shown a little bit more than what Zach Ertz was. Um, Zach Ertz, to me, seems like a guy who's, whose focuses are in too many different places. And uh, he definitely showed last year, definitely. Um, so if they're, if they're below 500, I can see them moving on from Zach Ertz. The other question is they drafted somebody who could be a franchise quarterback. So do they move on from Carson? No, 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 no. I'm not saying they will. I'm not just saying they will. I'm just saying there's there is they, they have a buyout clause in there. They have an out in there, though. They, they have a way to, to, to get out. Yes, I mean, Howard Roseman finds a way. I'll but, give you that. But And he does, and he does. But if this team, though, is is firing on all cylinders, if Miles Sanders comes out and bees this, the, the, what, what these you know experts are saying that he could be, uh, which is um, Saquon-esque, um, and that team is firing, like, they're, they're going to go deep, and they're, they're, I think they have a good chance. Uh, I'm not as worried about their receiving options because 
towards the end of last year, you've seen them run a lot of two tight end sets. So if they're winning, having Goddard and Ertz on the field at the same time, along with a burner like Deshaun, if he's healthy, or, or Jalen Rager, uh, if, he's, if he's even a quarter of what some of these people are saying he could be, um, I think they're going to be in a good spot. And their defense, yeah, it's questionable, but I would still say that um, that kid, what, what's his name, K- uh, Kayvon Wallace, like, to me, he's he's a, he's he's the like reincarnate of Dawkins. Um, he's going to be a monster. And you talk about um, leadership. Oh, the, in the one locker they drafted. Room. Yeah, you talk yeah. about leadership in the locker room. Like I can see this guy really stepping in as a rookie, and like go, maybe you know Brandon Graham pulls him under his wing and kind of like, all right, this is the heir apparent, you know, and he just rocks with it. And I think that kid is going to be. I think that kid's going to be dynamite. I, mean, I, I like the draft. I don't have a problem. Wallace is a great point too. I should. Have I think we're. Gonna, that I up think. So. I think we're going to. This team is going to. Like I'm high on Ray Gore and Wallace. I'll give you that. And and again, I've gotten past the Hurts pick. I think it's fine. I I won't entertain the idea that they're getting out of Carson, but I'm fine with having Hurts as the backup and working on him. I think he's a lot more of a project than most people are, have really taken the time to learn that he's a project. He's in, in no means a guy that's going to. Usurp that job in two, maybe even three I'm years. Just saying, I'm, I'm just saying this is Philly, and but, and the the conversation will come up. Shit, well, the, the conversation, conversation will come no, up because the, the, the media is stupid. But you you hit on two things that I wanted to pitch you guys. One was that you know you talked about the trade deadline, and my first reaction was going to be, who do they have to trade? But Zachers is the looming name, and do you think that moving him would be the play, or do you think, to your point about the two tight end sets, because uh, a year, maybe two years ago, I wrote an article about how the Eagles were already the number one team in the league at using 12 personnel with two tight ends. And we talked about because Dallas Goddard looked like such a stud and seemed like such a talent that they needed to do that more. And last year was another example of Doug Peterson trying to run this run-and-gun offense when you had a plethora of talented running backs and two stud tight ends and it still wasn't happening, and it took until literally yeah. guys were going out in body bags to start doing it, which, you know, the only way I imagine this team really can compete based on who I expect to be available is going to be a return to form for Zach Ertz, which seems doubtful at this point in his career, and significant leaps from Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard, which I can believe in for sure super high on those guys, but how much of a jump can you expect, and is it enough to put this team in a position to make the playoffs? I, I don't know. I really don't know. Those, la- those last four games, you could see um, Doug really making that change in mindset right. where he wanted to get away from the run. But will he do that from the start, or will it take them being five and seven to do it again? I think being down three wide receivers is going to kind of force his hand. I just I like... I just think it, it takes him being in a bad situation to make moves he should make well before that. I'm a huge Doug Peterson guy, but if there's one fault, and it's almost the same thing with Brett Brown, and people want to always rag on him, is that these guys don't make adjustments until it's far too late. And if they right. would have, they, they're capable of making them, and they're smart, and they can do it, and if they would just be more proactive about the idea of adjusting instead of being as stubborn to their philosophy until it's not working the, for so long, they would have so much more success than they already do. What was beautiful about the Super Bowl year is you saw that with Frank Reich. He wasn't afraid to Absolutely. tell Doug, to, like, no, you, we and, need to change this. And I hate and to bring up Frank Reich all the time, but yeah. he was so good. Yeah. They, they, they need a personality as an assistant that, that can do that. And now they don't even have an offensive coordinator at all. So who's going to challenge Doug Peterson? Deuce Staley? Deuce Staley, yeah. yeah Deuce Staley. I Jason, love Deuce. Jason, he should have got, got the gig. He, yeah. he really should have got the gig at this point. 
But he's a great running back. Like, when have you ever cared about the running backs coach? And it doesn't even matter that he's a former Eagle. Like, that's completely out of the equation for me. Yep. He's just a great running backs coach. Yeah. Well, the one thing you can always say about Deuce is that he had a vision that most running backs didn't. Not just his size, just most running backs. He, they didn't have vision that he did. You know, he, no, he was no Hall of Fame type type talent. But um, the way he saw the game, the way he's seen things play out he's in front horse, of him. He's a horse, dude. Yeah, he was, he was a stud. And even as a coach, I... I don't think he lost any of that. If anything, I think he got better at it. Oh, for sure. Because you can see, like, he knows when it's time to rotate out the running backs and and who to put in. And, like, Doug doesn't question him on any of that. So, um, yeah, he – he. I mean, maybe they will. By the time the season starts, they give him the position. But uh, An interesting comparison I have for Deuce, because I know this this guy gets a lot of credit. Again, I I always end up tying it back to the NBA to some degree, but – a lot of NBA vets, like, uh, you know, for Sixers fans in, in the news lately, obviously we've heard a lot of Kendrick Perkins, who's becoming this big, like, ESP. I don't even know if he's on ESPN or FS1, whichever one. I think he's on ESPN. But he's in the headlines every day because he's just crapping on every guy in the league. And, you know, Kendrick Perkins really doesn't have, shouldn't be saying most of the things that he says. But a guy to the opposite of that, who isn't even in the media or anything, is Allen Iverson, who's always boosting up young players, loves the way basketball is being played, is always hyping up young stars, is, is not this grumpy old, oh, they don't do it like I used to do it. And, like, <laughs> you totally could understand if Iverson was that way. Like, he was such a unique – like, we don't have to go down the rabbit hole appraising Allen Iverson, but, like, he was so good, he was so small, he represented Philadelphia so well. And you wouldn't really be surprised if a guy like that was sitting on his couch going, like, these guys don't play as hard as I do. These guys are taking rest games, and these guys don't go out there and get beat up the way that I did. But no, like he lo- he embraces the game. He embraces the fact that guys like Steph Curry are just shooting thirty-five foot threes, and he embraces you know all, all the young stars on, on Philadelphia and everything, and and, rep- and reps the team, some reps the entire league. He's a great league ambassador. He's not the old man yelling at a cloud. He, he's this vibrant. He's not and, Donovan McNabb. Yeah. And, and I get that, that vibe from Deuce Staley as well, where he's not like, oh, like these guys are divas now. They're dramatic. They don't want to work. We've got these running backs by committees. Nobody wants to be a workhorse. Like, like he's just hyping up his dudes no matter what. And he's like, he's just like, I love you guys. Like, let's go to war. Let's fight. Like, and, and you know, that, that resonates with me. I'm sure it resonates with players, and it definitely resonates in this city. Yeah. I mean, as, as a coach, like, I think Deuce recognizes the fact that the players are going to be the ones who get him out of his position. Now, if they're not playing well, if they are not, if they have like, a, a shitty attitude, he's gone. His position is he's done. He's going to get fired. You know, and that's it's every single coach. Um, kind of going back to what we were talking about with Jim Curtin, like, uh, a lot of that has to do with the coach and how he gets his players to perform. And Deuce knows how to do that. He knows how to get – I mean – Corey Clement was was fantastic, right? I mean, he was, he was a solid talent. He was great that Super Bowl year. I'm glad they brought him back too. I hope so he, am I. I am hoping, so am I. hope he can regain it. He was, my, he was my but, hugest fantasy sleeper for that following season. I thought ten touchdowns can, easy, just in a very utility, like a James White kind of role. Yeah. And like, man, like I'm wrong a lot, but boy, that one. I mean, when they brought when they brought Howard in, when they brought Howard in, like you could see it was like, all right, well, he's not even going to be he's not even going to rate at this point, and that wasn't fair to him. Uh, so yeah. it's, I'm I'm excited to see what happens with that backfield. Same, um, you know, Byron Scott. We still don't really know what he is. I mean, Byron Scott. At the end of the season, though, if we're, if we're going to praise Greg Ward, we got to praise Scott too. Man. Yeah. Now he, he really carried some weight. That's one name we have. Little shoulders. That's one name we haven't really brought up so far as Miles Sanders. Do you think this is a breakout year? Oh, absolutely. Or? It, this year, yep. after like, I'm going to say after week three. 
you might actually stop hearing the, this guy was Saquon's backup at Penn State. Oh, They're no longer yeah, going to drop that stupid line. It's just going to be, this is Miles Sanders. Yep. He was a, a great running back at Penn State, and now he's a great running back in the NFL. Yeah, this ta- this is his time. You're talking somebody his size, and his coaches do Staley. Pretty much damn near And I had a coach with Doug sizes. Peterson who can, get, who can use these guys. Because we saw, like, my favorite play from last season is against the Washington Football Club, that catch in the corner where Wentz yeah, throws yeah. that absolute yeah. dart yeah. Yep. to Sanders, keeping his feet in, in the back yep. corner for the touchdown. That's the best play of the whole season. And that's the type of things that most teams aren't doing with running backs. Right. And you have a quarterback like Wentz and a running back like Sanders, you can pull stuff like that off. Yep. And it's the same thing they were doing with Corey Clement in the Super Bowl. You know, he's catching wheel routes in the back of the end zone. Like, Doug will get crazy with it. But don't be surprised if Sanders throws a touchdown this season. Okay. I'm here for that. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a little, uh, that's a little prop draft after him me. even higher now. <laughs> but uh, you guys have anything else, Eagles? Uh, yes. Go Birds. Go Birds? Go Birds. Go Birds. Go birds. All right, so we are going to take this time to play our interview with Ty Daubert of Phillies Nation. Uh, he covers Reading, the double-A team for Phillies Nation, but also has been covering the Phillies as well. You can check out his work. Uh, recently, he had a really great interview with Don Brown that you can check out, who uh, is now a uh, – I think he coaches some kind of, like, uh, teenage-type league or anything. They recently had a game for charity, and Ty was able to catch up with him and talk about his time as a Philly. Really great interview. You can check that out from Phillies Nation. He also hosts – a podcast on Phillies Nation talking about the Phillies and whatnot. So here's our discussion with Ty on the state of the Phillies. And when we come back from that, we will talk Sixers and close it out talking about the Flyers, both teams getting their seasons restarted this weekend. So hang out with us. Thanks to Axe and Arrow for having us. Uh, We're going to get more beer and let's hang out. All right. So to help us talk a little bit of Phillies, since me and Steve are Definitely more fans of the Phillies than analysts Correct. of the Phillies and or baseball in general. Though I, I have watched 100% of the games so far this season, yeah. I, I am proud to say. Is there's only been three, which we'll get to. But we have, covering the Phillies for Phillies Nation, we have a friend of the pod, Ty Daubert. You can follow him on Twitter at Ty Daubert, easy enough, T-Y-D-A-U-B-E-R-T. Ty, what's going on, man? Long time, no talk. Happy to have you back on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I don't think I've been on since that time that Furkan Korkmaz snapped against the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm pretty sure that was only like so, two years ago, right? That was was that one of, <laughs> was that one of the thirty point games when he had the back to back ones? Yes, it, yeah. yes, it was. It was the one so. where he uh, where he just randomly pulled up like a step inside half court and buried a three in oh, transition. Man. So. I remember you, you know, those were I don't even know did years you ago. text me on that or did you actually call me cuz you may have actually called me. I called you on the the game winner against Portland. Portland I texted yeah, you I, for that one. I remember that. I, I was at a Halloween party <laughs> watching it on my phone. Uh well yeah, when so, when Furkan has back to back 30 point games in the uh, eight game play in thing then we'll get you back on for that as well cuz we're always trying to definitely. talk Furkan. But we, we will talk some Sixers. I definitely want to do that, and it'll transition us into our bigger Sixers conversation. But want to hit the fills first. Definitely your area of expertise compared to, to Steve and I. And we'll get to the whole COVID thing in a little bit. But before we attack that, I want to talk about what we did see from the fills in the opening series of the Marlins COVID-19 aside. You know, I guess before we talk about specific instances, what was your general takeaway 
coming out of that series one and two, when we know that even last year when the Marlins were, I, I think, a 55 win team or, or something pretty bad, uh, I think they were a game over 500 versus the Phillies. So for some reason, that team that is consistently selling pieces and really n- not seeming like they're trying to be competitive just seems to have our number. And, you know, for the past two to three years, the Phillies have finally been at the point where they seem like they're at least trying to compete a little more. I wouldn't call them a contender, but they're definitely, you know, expected to make a lot more noise than a Marlins team. You know, like what is what were your takeaways from the series and, and what is this franchise's problem with the, the Marlins specifically? So something I want to say about the Marlins is that I think they're a little bit underrated this year. Um, they were very bad last year, obviously, but uh, there were still some pieces in that rotation that were good. And uh, I, I still think, you know, well, who really knows right now? They have so many players that have tested positive, so you don't know who's going to be available. You just hope that uh, everyone on that team will end up being all right. But uh, they, they added this offseason, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar, Jonathan VR, uh, and, you know, they have a young rotation core. Uh, led by Sandy Alcantara and, um, you know, a few other guys that are on the way up. That I, th- I think the Marlins, you know, they're, they're not a pushover this year. And I think you saw it on opening day, Alcantara, basically he carved up the Phillies um, all day. Uh, they, they really couldn't put anything together against him. He threw a really good game. But other than that, I thought the offense hit in the next two games for the Phillies. They, uh, they did their part for sure. Uh, you, you know, sun, Sunday they they left a lot of runners on base, but still, you know, they were hitting home runs for basically the the whole weekend series. Even in that in that first game, Gregorius hit one. Uh, so I thought the offense did its job for the most part, and you know, we definitely saw some of the some of the questions that everybody had about the bullpen and um, the starting pitching as well Aaron Nola you know you if, if he's the ace of your rotation you hope he can pitch deep into ball games and for the first five innings or so he was really effective on opening day and then I think it was the sixth inning the the wheels came off a little bit and the Phillies uh ended up losing that game the second day uh Zach Wheeler he looked really good a, a really strong performance from him he didn't exactly have the strikeout stuff going but he, I think he got three or four big double play balls to get out of innings yeah, yeah, in, of in that game. So that was a that was an encouraging thing to see if you're the Phillies. Uh, I, I said this on my own pod uh, yesterday. I, I really think with Wheeler and Nola, it's way more of a 1A, 1B type of thing than a 1 and 2. I, I think Wheeler is really going to put together a strong year, and I think it'll be the same thing for most of his Phillies tenure. And then on Sunday, the last game the Phillies played, uh, probably a game that in hindsight they definitely should not have ended up playing just because of all the all the implications that it's had. Correct. Uh, you know, they, they look good in the first inning. They put up, what, four runs in the bottom of the first. Bryce Harper with a big home run. And then Vince Velasquez, after looking good in the first inning, he uh, did not look so good any longer they went to Kohler's and they went to Nick Pavetta and neither of them were extremely effective so uh that was just a rough one for the Phillies and 
you know, there's a lot of talented arms in the rotation and the bullpen, but, you know, there's really only a handful of really proven names that, that are in there. So it's going to be a lot of questions with that, with that pitching, but it looks like the offense is going to hit. They just have to hope that a few of these talented guys uh, on the pitching staff can kind of figure it out. And they really don't have many games to, to see who can figure it out. So it, they'll have to do it quickly. Yeah, there's there's a lot in there to unpack. I want to hit on a lot of that specifically, but especially talking about Sunday because I think that was the hardest one. On average, when you put up six runs, you'd like to think that you're going to win that game. And so even when you're upset about them going 0 for 5 with the bases loaded, leaving 14 runners on base, 2 for 13 with runners in scoring position, uh, you know, six runs usually wins you a game in baseball. So I think that's the really upsetting part. Starting there with Vince Velasquez, because we've seen this for years now that they, they keep throwing him out there in the rotation. And it's always, you know, he's a stuff guy. He's got good stuff. He's got the fastball. And I texted you, uh, I think it was Saturday night, or, or, or I think I texted you Saturday night and you answered me early Sunday. And I said, I'm not ready to believe in Vince Velasquez again. You know, where are you at on it? And you told me, you know, he'd been working on stuff. I think you said he added a cutter, uh, if I remember correctly. And yeah. he kind of goes out there and, and lays the egg. I kind of expected him to, which which was a little bit tongue in cheek, obviously, um, just based on past experience. But he goes and does it again. You know, does that start? Is, is there anything you can look to from that start that still gives you some kind of hope for him? Obviously, Joe Girardi came out and said that he will make his next start. So they're going to, you know, take it a little further. But I'd imagine that the leash is probably pretty short for him this season. So I guess what do you see that being if he does continue to struggle? And then who is the replacement for him? Because I would guess, barring injury, he is the first starter to fall out of this rotation. I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it'll depend on, uh, you know, we still haven't seen from Zach Eflin or Jake Arietta. So maybe if one of those two really struggles, uh, maybe they could be taken out of the rotation. We'll, we'll have to see. You know, with with Velasquez, this is um he he's definitely struggled in the past before, but this is a different kind of struggle, I would say, because in the past it's felt like he's uh, only really had his fastball, and it's a good fastball that, that um, is obviously a strong pitch for him, and what he's rode to the major leagues, and you know, in certain cases he's had success with it. You know, his past struggles has felt they've they've felt like it was just because he was lacking other pitches and could really only throw that one pitch. And what what felt different about this one is in in all these preseason games, all these um, you know inter squad scrimmages and then the summer camp games or whatever they were calling them. Uh, it really did feel different. He looked confident in the changeup. The curveball looked good. And, of course, he added that cutter, uh, ditching the slider that he used to kind of throw uh, that wasn't super effective for him. But uh, I guess that's one thing to look at, that you know it's not the same things that he struggled with. And, uh, you know, in, in those scrimmages, we, we saw that uh, it looked like he was – able to kind of develop a larger arsenal and then you know especially for that second inning uh it, it just didn't it didn't click on, on Sunday for him he looked good in the first inning 
you know, it would have been a one, two, three inning, but he made an error on a play at first base, but he ended up uh, picking, picking the runner off. But I, I still think just from what I've seen in, in these uh, scrimmages, I still think there's, there's more there than, um, you know, what we saw on Sunday. It's just a matter of, like I said, there's talented guys with good stuff, but if, if they can't put it together, you know, what's, uh, you know, there's no huge use in having that kind of stuff. If, if you can't put it together actually on the field. Yeah, I agree. So if he does go down, who do you think is, is the guy that comes up? Is it, is it definitely Spencer Howard? Yeah. So it feels like it would be Spencer Howard, but you know, he's, he's been pitching at the Phillies, uh, alternate training site, which is at triple a Lehigh Valley. He's with the, the rest of the guys in the 60 man player pool that are not on the actual uh, active roster at the major league level. So he's been pitching there and um, there's no media there or anything. I think they're broadcasting some of the games on, uh, on like the intra squad games on local TV, but I don't have, I don't have that channel. So just from what I, I've seen uh, some of the, the people tweeting it, it it's, seems like he's looked pretty good and obviously you know he's their top pitching prospect he has he has um, some really good stuff and has looked extremely promising uh, from what i've seen on tv and in person seeing him last year so it feels like he's the next guy up but at the same time there is the service time question and the um you know he's had arm arm problems in the past so they would have to make sure he's on um a right routine and schedule to make sure that he's not throwing too many innings or he's on the right path to keep his arm healthy. But it feels like at this point he would be the the next guy up. So talk to us about Howard and also Alec Bohm, who are the two names that people are most excited about potentially this year being a part of this roster and how their situations work with the fact that like, you know, you you expect them to be on this roster pretty early, and why exactly that is for people who may not understand how that works, especially with this shortened season. Yeah, so so basically, in a regular major league season, uh, the date is sometime in May. That for prospects who have not who have not yet been on the forty uh, man roster or the roster in general, after that date in May, if they're called up, they don't acclimate a full year of service time. Um, so what that essentially means is that teams can pretty much steal a year of control and kind of screw their players out of, uh, you know, hitting free agency a, a year, the year that they would have, they can, they can make their players hit free agency a year later. And the team gets that talented young player, um, you know, for cheaper for an extra year. And I, I think that'll be addressed in the next CBA. We've had players file grievances with their, with um, you know, on their teams. Michael Franco did it a few years back. Chris Bryant is another one that. Chris uh, Bryant was the one I was going to say. That's the one I remember the most. Being a, yeah, Chris team. Bryant's probably the most most notable one that did it, but Franco did it too. Um, so yeah, in a normal year, that that date is sometime in May. I can't remember the exact the exact day it is, but. You know, players have to be on the major league roster for a certain amount of days to get that full year of service time, so they could hit free agency. Uh, you know that that year earlier, 
but in a 60 game season in um, however many days this season is, I think it's 60, 66 days, you know, everything's prorated. So that date is advanced to only, I think, I, I don't know what the exact confirmed date was, but it was something like six days after the season started. And if this season is indeed going to be uh, everything in 66 days, even with all the all the Phillies games now being postponed, if they're still set on that end date, um, it, it looks like it'll still be six days after the season, which means Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm, the team's two top prospects, they could be up by the next time by the next time that the uh, that the team plays. Yeah, and they play. Uh, they don't right now. It looks like they're not playing again until at least Monday, uh, I believe. Right, yep. so that would be day twelve already at that point. So even if you know there was a little bit of like give or take with that, like it seems definitely by then you're well enough into the season for for that to have yeah. hit. And with with double headers now, um, it looks like they could be getting more games out of these guys. Um, more so Bohm, just because, you know, he would be playing both ends of doubleheaders and things like that. He's more on a, a game-based schedule than a days-based like a pitcher would be. The team could be getting more games out of these two prospects than they probably originally envisioned. Right. Well, that, I mean, like you said, I'm, I'm glad you phrased it that way because, you know, I, I definitely agree with you that it's definitely a really poor situation for the players and something they, that franchises have taken advantage of for a long time, and I definitely would think that that's not going to be as easily exploitable uh, come the next, you know, players' uh, agreement. And when we're yeah, talking about the, it's just to, to say one more thing on it. It's yeah. like you have you have teams like this, like the Phillies, who say they're all in on winning, and you know, I, from a team perspective, it does make sense that you'd want to have another year of control of these guys, but it if you really want to win, shouldn't the best players on your team be on the team from the get go? So I, I just think it's in the bigger problem is the fact that there, this rule is in place to take advantage of because um, you, you'd understand why the teams would do it just because you, you get an extra year of these good players for in a normal year about um, you only have to miss them for, a month and you still get, you know, 120, 130 or so games of them. You know, it's just a rule that I think needs to go because uh, it's a better situation for, for everyone involved. If they, uh, if they get rid of it and they get that service time, no matter how many days they're up or if it's only, uh, you know, a few games, a few days into the season. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask you about a tweet of your uh, Phillies Nation, I, I guess, pal, uh, co-worker, whatever we want to call it, Johnny Heller, that I noticed the other day, and I wanted to get your take on, because I, I know, I think you're going to disagree with this, but he had a tweet that seemed to get a lot of attention that says, quote, dating back to July 1st of last year, Freddie Galvis has hit more home runs, 13, than Reese Hoskins, 10, despite having 72 fewer plate appearances. Oof. And... <laughs> I, I would like you to address that tweet, but to tie it into a, a thought of mine is I agree that for the most part in that opening series that the offense, for the most part, did their job. But we can still agree that Sunday was a disappointment with the runners on base and the bases loaded situations and whatnot. So uh, my question, you really it's not necessarily about Reese Hoskins, but more about the overall order of the lineup. If it's something that you think 
is going to stick or if you think they'll tinker with it? And if so, what do you think are some of the more obvious looks? Because I think one of the biggest ones is looking at the heart of that order with Hoskins in the two hole, Bryce at three and JT at the four. And I know with Reese, there's a whole conversation about, you know, getting on base, but everyone fell in love with him his rookie year with the power. And that really hasn't been the same necessarily since he came on. So what are your thoughts about Johnny putting that tweet out, kind of comparing Reese's numbers to Freddie Gallus, and then just your overall thoughts on, on this lineup order and, and what you think maybe uh, you know could benefit them, or do you think this is probably the way it shakes out more or less? Yeah, so so Johnny's tweet that's a that's a good one. He's always he's always digging for Freddie Gallus stats because <laughs> Philly fans and they tend to like those ones. But um, the, the thing with that is you know. Hoskins is his second half last year was just really, really bad to put it, uh, frankly, but you know, he, to start this year, he is getting on base a ton, like, like a ton. I think he had two straight games of three walks and you said what you said, I think, um, kind of helps me make my point that people that Phillies fans, they fell in love with Reese Hoskins when he started off that um that 2017 season when he was called up at the end of the year and he hit 17 home runs uh or whatever it was and he went on that tear just felt like he's homering every game but i think that gave people a little bit of a misconception of what kind of player he is because he is not ryan howard and this is actually what johnny said on our podcast um, yesterday that Reese Hoskins is a lot more Joey Votto than he is uh, somebody like Ryan Howard, where he, he's not going to hit 50 home runs a year, but his biggest skill is his eye and his ability to get on base. And then he does also have the ability to get some doubles and home runs. And he, he's good at hitting uh, hard fly balls to the pull side. So, um, you know, I don't mind him at two just because um, – I think that's uh, personally, personally, uh, I would put Harper at two. I think the game is trending to just putting your best overall hitter at two because uh, you know over the three spot because it gets them a bunch of bunch more plate appearances over the course of the year. But um, if you're going to put Harper third, I don't mind Hoskins at two because of how much he gets on base. I think the real issue comes back to uh, they just don't have a great cleanup hitter then um i i think personally i'd rather have gregorius there at four than real muto just because real muto um he's probably one of the three best hitting catchers in the league but he's still not you know one of the best hitters overall in the league he's not some great power hitter uh he's a great hitter for a catcher and, and you know most catchers cannot really hit and adding that defense with his offense makes a really great player uh, but, you know, I, I don't think he's a cleanup hitter, and Gregorius probably fits that spot a little more. So may, maybe I would not be opposed people wouldn't like this. If you're if McCutcheon, uh, if you're not going to bat him first, I'm fine with Hoskins there. People aren't going to like it because they, uh, you know, the I idea like speed. of speed at the top of the order is what people like. But Hoskins gets on base a ton, and I people have been getting on him because he hasn't, I guess they don't think he's come up clutch in certain spots in the three games to start the year, but the ability to get on base is, 
you know, one of the most valuable in, in baseball. And that's something he does a ton and it's something he's done a lot already this year. Yeah. I actually, I wanted to say something about McCutcheon at the top and I just really didn't want to piss anybody off because I know everybody loves him and myself included, but I actually would probably agree with a lot of the things you said as far as I wouldn't hate Reese leading off. Uh, I also, I, this probably isn't the year for it, but I would hope that maybe come next year, that's maybe like a Scott Kingery kind of role. Uh, hopefully he still has to obviously work on more of his on base and just general batting average, but hopefully maybe that's something he can do with his speed and everything. Yeah, The thing with Kingery is he, um, up to this point in his career, he does strike out like a whole lot and yeah. his on base isn't uh, crazy, but he is one of the, definitely one of the faster players in baseball. And if he can get the on-base skills up a little bit, that that is somebody that you'd want at the top of your lineup because of that speed. It's still valuable to have there. And with McCutcheon's um, injury, you know, maybe he isn't as fast as he once was. So him in the leadoff spot doesn't make as much sense. But he still does get, uh, you know, even up to his injury last year, he gets on base a ton. So he's still a really good candidate for that spot as long as the injury isn't uh, still a problem and he can – you know, bounce back this year. Yeah, I think it's it's clear, at least with how they've set it up early, that uh, Girardi understands the idea of on base, and that seems to be what he values having McCutcheon and Reese at the top. And I guess it'll it'll probably depend on how good everybody behind those guys can continue to get them in if they get on to see if he's willing to go with that or if they need a little more spark at the top to actually generate the offense more. So, Ty, I know we're only three games into the season, um, but we already have concerns about the balance of the lineup, issues with the back end of the starters, as well as the bullpen. Uh, we only have 57 games left. And with these issues, the trade deadline is still August 31st. So if we, especially let's say we start off at three and seven or, you know, four and 11, and we're, you know, we're really back down. Do you think that is this one, you know, an ideal trade market? Um, and two, do you think that if if it gets that bad, they just tank the season because they don't want to waste it? Or it's like, you know, what, let's get another starter, another arm, you know, whoever, because, you know, the playoff has also been expanded to 16 teams. So maybe we can go on a run. What, what are your thoughts as of possibly, you know, if any lineup changes here, roster changes? I can't believe the trade deadlines that soon. Yeah, like th- three games into the season. and It's like 30 <laughs> days away. Like, that's crazy. It's, it's real. Yeah, so this trade deadline is going to be one of the hardest to predict ever, I think, just because, um, you know, a lot of the teams that probably would have sold off some of their players at the deadline in a normal year are going to have a legitimate shot at the playoffs because it's expanded to 16 teams. You know, um, Robbie Ray on the Diamondbacks has felt like a trade candidate for the last 50 years, um, and maybe this would have been the year he gets dealt but the Diamondbacks have a very real shot of making the playoffs if not close to a lock just because of how many teams are going to make it. So um, if anybody's selling-selling, it's going to be teams at the bottom of the barrel, and at that point, um, with only 14 teams not making it, and you would imagine probably only um, a handful will be really, really out of it and willing to sell, how how many good players um, are they going to have to trade away? Maybe somebody like, maybe this is the year somebody like 
Matthew Boyd on the Tigers gets traded away. Um, but I also doubt it because this also doesn't feel like the year that teams would be able to get the most because um, if, if you're buying somebody at the deadline, this year is so random in such a small sample size. Uh, you'd only have them for, what, 30-ish games, so you don't even know what you're going to get out of these players. So I think this could be a, a relatively quiet trade deadline, which I think is un, a little unfortunate. With such a weird year, you would hope that uh, you could get as much craziness at the deadline. That's always one of my favorite days of the year. But just because so many teams are going to be in it, I don't I don't see a lot of teams selling, and then I don't see um, a lot of teams. Also, they might not feel the need to upgrade because they're already in the playoff mix uh, when in a normal year they'd be out of it. That's definitely going to be interesting to see. The last question I really have for you before I want to talk about the COVID stuff uh, a little bit, which will probably will probably go for a little bit, knowing how I think all three of us kind of feel about it in general. But sticking to baseball one last time, so and kind of transitioning because of COVID and all these postponed games and whatnot for the Phillies. Joe Girardi came out and said that they're going to basically reset their rotation more or less as far as Nolan Wheeler are going to stay on their normal rest and, and get the next starts. And then, you know, we'll see the the rest of the rotation again, which so far, you know, we've only seen Nola Wheeler and Velasquez. Do you think that that's the right move by him? And do you think it's going to be difficult for the, uh, for Arietta and Eflin to, you know, put off starting the season this late when they were kind of expecting to go on Monday and Tuesday? Yeah, so I think it's the right move because uh, in such a, a short season, I think you have to do what you can to get as many starts out of your two best pitchers as possible. Like I said earlier, I think this is really a, a 1A, 1B type of situation with those two with those two players. So I think having them on the mound as often as possible is uh, the key to doing as well as you can in this season. Um, if the Phillies want to be in the playoffs, those two guys are going to have to really um, carry a lot of a lot of the load for the starting pitchers. Um, but I do think it could be tough for guys like Arietta and Eflin, especially with um, the whole situation with the Marlins and Phillies needing to isolate. They really haven't been allowed at the facilities in the stadium like they would hope. So. Uh, you don't know if they're able to get their regular work in. And um, so them staying fresh could be an issue, definitely. Um, but I still think that you have that extra advantage with those two guys being able to pitch again. So I think you, you need to go out there and throw them. I'm disappointed, Dan. I thought your question was going to be, is Phil Gosselin an early MVP candidate? I forgot to bring up how good Phil yeah. Gosselin is. I, I, I apologize. Ty, your thoughts on Phil Gosselin? I mean, he'd get my MVP vote at this point, right? I Who, who else is getting it? Two, I mean, who else is batting 666? Six, six, six. what, uh, what, what was your tweet? I think you said he was on – how many homers was he on pace for after, after – Oh, the, yeah. Uh, he, was on, he was on pace for, like, well over – I think it was, like, 150-something. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, <laughs> Not too bad. Not too bad. Oh, I, that, uh, that might be. That would shatter the the single season record, even in a short season. So, so obviously, to talk about the COVID stuff, this entire week of games now postponed, which I absolutely agree was the right move. No question there. 
missing an entire series with the Yankees, and now the entire Blue Jays series as well has been postponed. Again, rightfully so. You know, what was your first thought after the reports came out Sunday that that the Marlins had these positive diagnoses and the game still went on? And, you know, from your perspective, and I'm sure we can touch on ours, is, you know, who do you kind of look at more as as the, the villain in this situation versus, you know, the Marlins going out and playing this game under those circumstances and Major League Baseball itself allowing that game to be played uh, with this information. Yeah. So on Sunday, when, when you hear it, um, I, I think it was before Friday's game, we heard Jorge Alfaro was going to not be with the team and they didn't really specify why. And, you know, when you hear that, you just kind of, <clears throat> you assume and you speculate that it's COVID-19 related when they're saying that a player is being added to the injured list or whatever. And they're not telling you why it's, you can almost figure out why. So that's what really started it. But then, you know, one case or one person exposed or whatever, you know, not the hugest deal as long as they uh, haven't spread it to the team. And then by Sunday, there's four confirmed cases at least. And it felt like it was a, a, situa- a situation getting worse. Um, and, you know, to be honest, uh, I wasn't out there calling for the game to be canceled just because you, you assume that leagues like this uh, – they have certain protocols and they're able to find out, you know, what really went on and who came in contact with who. And so, you know, I guess you just kind of figure that, all right, uh, maybe this doesn't seem like the best idea, but I guess they know what they're doing. And obviously in hindsight, the, uh, it didn't work out like they thought and hearing the story, uh, from after the game that before Sunday, I think it was the Marlins, did a, a team vote basically through a group text saying that they wanted to play. And, you know, if the Marlins aren't health experts and, and the people that run the league. And I know it's easy uh, for people to quickly kind of blame them for deciding to play, but I, I think it's up to the, the league and the people that are, are running the show here to, it's up to them to tell a team not to play. If, if it's up to a baseball team and you ask them, do they want to play or not? You know, they're baseball players. They're going to say yes, basically every time. So I think there needs to be somebody, somebody there to really know what's going on in the situation. Because, you know, at that point, those guys didn't know that they were going to test positive. They probably assumed that they were fine when they voted yes to play or said they wanted to play. So I think it's up to the people in charge that they have to, they have to do the right thing here. And if they think it's going to be a problem, they got to, they got to shut down this game because now, you know, even more Marlins were uh, getting infected with, with the virus. And then, you know, Philly's employees ended up getting sick. And the um, the Marlins, other than with other Marlins, the Phillies players were the people they were in contact with most at home plate and first base and everything like that. So, you know, you run the risk of, of getting the other team sick. So I, I, think, I think the league needs to... They, they should have shut it down. Um, they At that point, they knew more than, than we did, um, but they uh, they made the wrong choice, and I think they'd probably, uh, they'd probably admit that at this point. So I, I think they uh, – I've read that they've ramped up their protocols, and uh, they now have, like, COVID uh, protocol enforcers or whatever in hotels and 
at facilities. I think Jeff Passan of ESPN reported that last night or yesterday. So uh, they got to make sure they're doing the right thing to prevent this kind of outbreak and more importantly, just keep their players healthy uh, throughout the season. Ty, you're, you're still young and have a very promising career ahead of you. So I'm going to preface this with saying, and obviously don't want to make light of the situation, but I've got to make two pretty terrible dad jokes in regards to everything you just said. Uh, I feel obligated. One, I, I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, phrase of what happens when you assume, but you might want to look that <laughs> up, uh, especially when it comes to, to large organizations, franchises, and things of that nature. And then number two, when you mentioned the Marlins being around the Phillies the most at, at home plate and first base. I mean, look at how many guy, how many times they had the bases loaded and how many runners were, were left on. They were definitely standing right by Marlins players the whole goddamn game. So uh, def, definitely <laughs> yeah, some guess, high exposure. That's true. And we still lost two fucking games with people that were positive for COVID. Um, and, and before, in all seriousness, Jesus. too, before uh, coming on here. We're knocking them down yeah, tonight. 8.39, <laughs> you know, on a Thursday night. I just read before coming on, it's up to now 19 players on Jesus. the Marlins. Like, dude, I just, this is driving me crazy. If there's one thing this this year, the sports season is, you know, confirmed in my eyes, Rob Manfred is now the worst commissioner in sports oh i, I think know, he's dude. worse than gary bettman because I, I don't know that gary bettman's the worst well i think he took the title man because listen with with how long it took for major league baseball to get their shit together like i was i was like you know i don't give a fuck about baseball i'm ready for it to be over i don't care that if there's a season i'm ready for basketball i'm ready for soccer football's around the corner fuck baseball oh, and then buddy, it's I like i don't know the football's around the corner that's well, kind of my point here that's true but it's just like, you know, you, you put these, this huge decision where all these other leagues and companies, non-sports play organizations, have all these protocols and league, and it comes down to a fucking group text. Like, like in what, what other fucking world or scenario is it? All right. Well, 11 out of 13 guys said on a group text that we're going to play today's game. Like, like, come on, dude. Like that, that is, that's just... the, cra- I didn't know that part. So that was crazy to hear Tom, yeah. that, that they had a team vote on it. Uh, and, yeah, and that's and, the thing, but I agree to your point that obviously if you leave it to the players that they're going to want to play and, and I, you know, they have some blame cause everyone knows how this works. But again, to your point, like they're going to say they're going to play. I get that. I understand. So I, I definitely think the onus is on major league baseball to a, a much bigger degree. Yeah. And just like, like you said, um, they got to make sure they can't leave it up. They can't leave it up to players. Like that is just, it's crazy, and maybe they can say they didn't know that it was left up to a group text, but they got the, the league has to step in and, and make the, the right decisions for the sake of their players and for the sake of the, the league if they want the season to complete. And Ty, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't hurt your feelings by saying to fuck Major League Baseball or baseball in general. So, just got a <laughs> no, little that, heat. <laughs> you did not hurt my feelings. That's fine. Ty, the last question I really have for you is now in regards to all these games being postponed is, I mean, I know there's no set plan as of this point, but, you know, how do you imagine that in the limited the season has to end at a certain point? How do the Phillies make up missing an entire week? And to a more important degree, I mean, you, you mentioned that they're upping the protocol and having these enforcers and whatnot, and that's great, but... I still don't think that the way that they're doing this season, as far as the travel and everything, especially uh, that there's not really a way to prevent this from happening again and again. 
And I, I truly believe at this point that they are already at a, in a position that they might want to just consider shutting the season down. Where do, where do you kind of stand on that? I, I think the majority of people will say that that's premature, and I understand, and I've definitely been, you know, of, of my the way that I lean in regards to this entire COVID thing has always been very aggressively safe and, and cautious. So, you know, I, I know I am extreme in that mindset and not everybody shares that. And that's fine. We can uh, agree to disagree to some regard, but to me, you're putting people's lives in danger and, and they agreed to it, but they agreed to it with the idea that there was protocols in place to keep them safe. They didn't agree to come out here and basically be put at risk pretty significantly and already, uh, looking like it's probably likely to happen, you know, a few times, I would guess. Yeah, so I, I don't think this is the smartest way to operate or the most ethical way to operate, but you have to assume that Major League Baseball figured something like this could and maybe possibly would happen. Um, so I don't see them getting shut down anytime soon. I think that they probably figured at some point – something like this would end up happening because how could you not, how could you not assume it? Um, so I, I don't know the, they just passed a rule uh, according to Jeff Pass and a VSPN that double headers are now going to be, they can be seven games starting seven uh, on or seven innings, sorry, seven inning games starting Saturday. So it seems like they're going to have to, you know, go with a bunch of double headers to try to uh, put these games in and, I, I think maybe for, um, you know, with this team outbreak with the Marlins, I think that there's a chance that, you know, you see more players wearing masks even in the dugout and on the field and doing their best to kind of separate from each other as players because I think that's a key to making sure that the, that the teams are fine, making sure that they're social distancing. And it's definitely hard. You're in a, a limited space and even in a major league clubhouse and, and these extended dugouts, but I think they're going to keep trying to go with this. Maybe they reach a point where they have to shut it all down, but if this one isn't stopping them, I don't exactly know where they would draw the line. It sounds like as if maybe there should be a bubble, but I'm no expert. Well, yeah, I mean, that that was kind of, that was kind of what I was getting to is that, you know, again, when I say that I lean very extreme to being cautious, I have applauded and, and been on board with the way the NBA and NHL have done it. I understand with baseball, especially with the size of the roster and having these taxi squads, it's definitely a lot more logistical challenge to do, challenges to doing so, as well as, you know, the fact that baseball, you know, more or less, I mean, there are domes, but more or less is always played outside. So you're also dealing with rainouts and, and weather delays, as we saw with that opening night Nationals uh, Yankees game. Oh, yeah. uh, I think I think what they go five, five and a half innings and, yeah. and, and called it, which uh, I was fine with. I, I understand. But things like that. And I didn't know about the seven inning thing for double headers. Ty, you can attest to this. I told you before the season started that I think that all games should be seven innings. So that works well for me. Yeah. But uh, I, I know that that won't be the case probably any anytime soon, if, if ever. But uh, yeah, the, it's 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 really going to be tough. And the thing like I, I understand you can pull the double headers off. But even then, you're looking at the Phils having to play 57 games in 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 so many less days than that. And it's not it's not even their fault. They weren't the team that got infected. They didn't do anything against protocol. I mean, I don't think that they would have had any say in, in not playing Sunday's game. And, and to your point, same with the Marlins. If you're going to ask the team, they're going to play the game. 
But let's say you are in the camp of thinking the Phillies were a, a playoff contender or, or even a championship contender, which, you know, Vegas had decent odds on them, but I, I've, I'm skeptical as I usually am. Like this, I think this puts them at, at a pretty big uh, disadvantage as far as schedule and, and play because, you know, most of the teams aren't going to have to go through this. The only teams really in, in their situation right now are, are the Phils and the Marlins and two a lesser degree, you know, the teams they were scheduled against, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and and, and so on. Yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a weird season for these teams, uh, especially weird weird season for every team, obviously. But they're gonna have to really get try to get these games in. Maybe there's a chance that these teams and maybe some others, uh, depending what happens, that they don't get all sixty in and they go with winning percentage instead. Uh, but who really knows? I think a lot of this season is going to be figuring it out on the fly. You know, they just where they they changed the playoff system what the day of the day the season started, and yeah. they just changed the rules for double headers, and we're a week into the season. So I think it's going to be a lot of figuring this out on the fly and just seeing where it takes where it takes them i guess it, it was hilarious i was watching that yankees nationals game which was the, the first game of the season's primetime espn and they had rob manfred on with the guys in the broadcast booth and they're like so uh the postseason is is what the the first uh the number one seeds get a buy and then there's six teams after that and literally manfred's like no uh there's there's eight teams it's the top two in the division and then the two and they're like oh like literally a game is already <laughs> being played and people didn't know what the fucking rules were yeah it's yeah, insane. The day, be- the, the day before the season, Johnny and I, uh, with Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation, we recorded a podcast doing our playoff predictions, and within 24 hours, it was rendered completely useless. Like, <laughs> Isn't that the worst, dude? It was like, it was like oh, that, well, we that, just, That's our luck as well. Is tomorrow they're going to announce that MLB shuts down, and this yeah. entire conversation is useless, too. That's probably mm-hmm. our luck. We probably jinxed it by doing this tonight. <laughs> God damn it. But, but but hopefully not. Ty, uh okay, oh shit, I almost forgot to actually talk Sixers. So real Thank quick, God. real quick, uh get, give us your your general thoughts on on the Sixers as far as, you know, what you think they can do in this NBA restart. They have the eight play-in games. They have uh the playoff run obviously right now they sit as the 6th seed, uh tied with Indiana, so definitely some wiggle room there. Uh definitely within reach of Miami that's probably as far as it goes so I guess give me where you think they end up seeding wise and and what your thoughts are on them overall and and what you think their season ends with um I think they probably stick in the sixth seed I think there could be some struggles in these first eight games I don't know I think that a a well-rested healthy Embiid in the playoffs fares well for the 76ers and I think they I don't know. I think they'll have a, a good series with the Bucks wherever they match up with them. If that's in the conference finals, I think. I think that you know this team. It was built to. It was built to play the Bucks. To, to be honest, and I think that's what we're going to get. Uh, maybe I, I'd want to see them a little bit before I say they'll beat the Bucks. But I think they're going to get there. And if if any defense is going to stop Giannis and in the Bucks. I think it's going to be the Sixers. Uh, we've seen Embiid guard Giannis well. We've seen Simmons do it well at times. And in the past, Al Horford's done it well. I don't know if he really still has that in him. Um, but we'll have to see. Just watching these uh, 
these scrimmages that they've played, it's been great to see Al Horford clapping a whole lot. That's really what we like to see after he messes up. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for some basketball. It seems like the bubble's going well. Um, you guys mentioned that a little bit. I don't know if baseball could have pulled that off just because uh, more people and no, you don't I really don't have – so. You don't, you don't have 15 Major League Baseball fields uh, just sitting in, yeah. in one spot. But um, for for a team or for a league like the NBA and the NHL, I think the bubble situation is uh, as close to optimal as, as you can get. So I'm excited to watch to watch some basketball uh, and, and see what the Sixers do. Awesome. Well, Ty, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you want to plug anything, you know, we, we plugged your turf. If you want to give it again, if, if you have anything else, I know you've got the pod and, and Phillies Nation, you know, whatever you want to plug before we uh, sign off here, feel free. I'll give you the floor. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Ty Dobbert, like Dan said earlier. You can read my work on philliesnation.com. Uh, I do Phillies and, and minor league stuff there. And then with Johnny Heller, I do the Phillies Nation podcast. You can find it on uh, on philliesnation.com, on Apple, Pods, Spotify, or basically anywhere else. Uh, guys, thanks for, for having me on. It's been a, a good time. No problem, Ty. Thank thanks, you, Ty. For, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be of right course, back. Anytime. We'll be right back after this, and we will dig into the Sixers in the bubble in Orlando, uh, the eight-game playing that they have to determine playoff seating, and then going into the playoffs, talking about the matchups, where we think they end up, and much, much more. So stay with us, hanging out here at Axonera Brewing, hopefully. All right, so we are now back. We're going to get into our Sixers conversation. We still have on the panel Paul Catrino from Views from the Bridge, Steve, my co-host, as usual, for Process Potables. And I don't know if he's really going to jump in on the Sixers here, but he's more than welcome to chime in. Probably The host of, of our hockey podcast, Pucks and Potables, Mason, joining us here because after we wrap up our Sixers talk, we will get into the Flyers to close out the night. So before we get into the Sixers conversation, I realize that at this point we really haven't talked much about anything we've drank. We, we've definitely talked about being here at Axe and Arrow right on the campus of Rowan University, which is awesome, especially since so many of us. Are, are we all Rowan graduates? I'm Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, oh, what a... Leave. Just leave. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, See you guys soon. I'm not coming on my Kraken podcast. <laughs> no Kraken one is. Kraken Cold on. Ones, the first Seattle Krakens podcast. No. But... Hard pass. Uh, <laughs> it's... They write themselves, dude. Hey, hopefully someone pays me like, hey, here's two hundred. You're like that realtor who took all the Washington Football Club's potential names, so now they're called the Washington Football Club, which is still a better name than what they had. Wasn't that Eric Cartman? No, that was the Washington Expletive Deleted. No, they take all their names. I don't know. (laughs) I think it was just the one Expletive Deleted, but. Like we mentioned, uh, I don't know if we were recording at that point, but I was uh, voluptuously reading the tap menu here. But I've already had the Brew Dragon and the Ninja Dust, both New England IPAs, both fantastic. I've had them several times when I've come here, as well as the Campfire Caber, which we've talked about on the pod before because I feel like a lot of places have attempted a s'mores beer and failed miserably. And this is easily the the best s'mores beer I've ever had, One of one of the best... Dark beers I've ever had in general. It's smoky, but it encompasses all the flavors you would expect from a s'more subtle, but but there. 
and nuanced and, and very delicious. And then the black is beautiful, which is obviously uh, the beer that ever, like, I think there's 400 plus breweries at this point that have made yep. their own version of in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is awesome. This is the only place I've had it from, but the one that acts in Arrow is incredibly smooth. Clocks in at 12%. Oh, it's wow. an absolute oh, house, <laughs> but it doesn't taste like it, which is always the best. Mm-hmm. You, you can drink two of them and, and fall right asleep. And the fact that I drank one during this when we're going to end up probably <laughs> pushing three hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, I already had one, buddy. I'm not going to lie. When you told Woo! me that we were coming to Axe and Arrows, I really thought we were going, like, axe throwing and having a pod. You know what I mean? I'm so I know. That, that'll be a, uh, a team bonding <laughs> outfit. It's, it's always that or an escape room. They're, like, the only two things you can ever do. For team bonding, right. got to get the shirt mics and drop. Is, sports is takes escape from a room or throw <laughs> axes, which are which are both incredibly like devious things to think of. Like, okay, we're all trapped in this room and we have to escape, or we're going to violently throw axes. Like, those are the Why ways that both? corporate offices decide that we're going to team build. Very weird <laughs> way of thinking, if you ask me. But hey, I mean, I'm all for it on a company dime. <laughs> also, Top Golf potentially love that Top Golf. But anyway, we're going to talk about the Sixers. So. Uh, or well, we're gonna talk. About, I talked about what I'm drinking. What about you guys? I'm all over the say is that so, black is beautiful, man. I agree. The two beers you had were delicious. I had them last time. I had like five. So what two are you talking about? The s'mores <laughs> one. Okay. And the other one, I already forget what you said. The black is beautiful. Yes, black is beautiful. Uh, the two I one, had dude, so far up. were I had the Brujas, which is uh, a Dunkel, very delicious, and then I also had the Squeaky Wheel, Hefe Weizen. So I thought about getting. Oh no, I thought it was that. Was that? I said I thought about getting the Hefeweizen. It's very good. It's very solid Hefeweizen, and a lot of places Hefeweizens for me for a lot of local breweries are kind of hit or miss, and this one's definitely a hit. So I uh, really enjoy it. It doesn't have that um like that hint of banana that I know a lot of people look for in a uh, Hefeweizen, but um, it's delicious. Uh, the Bohemian Pills was pretty solid. Uh, I tried the Easy Peasy Peach, which is such a just such a strong beer name, you know. Really, just something you can order manly at a bar. It's just very uh, nice. Yeah, but uh, my favorite has to be the Ninja Dust. I really, I, I'm glad mm. you recommended that to me first because I'm like really big on the hazy IPAs, and it's just it's always what I'm going to recommend got that, first. Like, got the tart to it with the pineapple in there. It's just. I was going to make a, a Crazy solid. Train song parody out of Hazy Train, but... You know. Ooh. <laughs> That's why you don't have a microphone. It's doable. Just choose wisely. <laughs> You're going off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing's going off the rails on a I'm Hazy Train. See? I did it for you. <laughs> Thank you. So, the Sixers to this point, they play tomorrow night. Well, if you're listening to this, it'll probably be tonight because it's not going to come out till Saturday. But Saturday night, 7 p.m., the only non-nationally televised game. Very suspect to me. But to this point, they've played three scrimmages, only one of which Joel Embiid has participated in. Ben Simmons, we saw him shoot two threes in the first game, making one of them, missed the first, made the second, which was encouraging nonsense. I believe Tobias Harris has looked great across all three. He has been the easily the most consistent piece that they've had. Mm. Ben Simmons, especially in the third game, really struggled, especially at the rim, which was a little bit disturbing, but I'm not going to put too much weight in that myself. But you hope that he's going to be able to round that out and that hopefully him trying to extend his range is not going to impact him becoming a better finisher close as well. 
because especially with this transition to the four, he should get a lot of opportunities, you know, inside of 10 feet or so. And then Furkan Korkmaz, who anybody who knows me knows is my guy, and Al Horford being the first guys off the bench fairly consistently at this point. We'll see if that remains. Steve, we'll start with you. I mean, what are, what are you looking for the most just as far as tomorrow against Indiana? Are, are you considering this more as a little bit of an extension of these exhibitions? Are you still kind of okay with them working through things? Or are you more expecting that having three scrimmages under your belt already and these games now counting toward potential playoff seeding that you want them to take these seriously? You expect them to be full go, all in, looking to dominate and win these games, especially against a somewhat depleted Indiana team. Well, so first thing I got to say, Hal, it's just funny how there's all this talk with virtually everything being in the new normal, right? And even in a new normal world, we still have Joel Embiid uh, still taking a bunch of rest games, and we still have Ben Simmons having one game where he'll shoot two threes and then you hear nothing out of. <laughs> with that said, before the scrimmages even started, I, I had a lot of high expectations for this team uh, because – one, we've said before how if there's one team that can afford to rest players and where to, this uh, delay, or, you know, suspension of the league will benefit, it's the Sixers. I felt that they, overall, these three games, they came out a little flat to me. They weren't, everything wasn't, you know, as tight or fluid as I wish. But, like, that, that, that first game where, you know, against um, Memphis, I thought, I was like, oh, the Sixers look really, really good. But it was kind of a sloppy game on both ways. But I still saw enough encouraging things. Uh, Shake Shake Milton looks, you know, great as a point guard. I think one misconception is people have this idea that Ben Simmons is only going to be, you know, the power forward and never bring the ball up, which even Brett Brown said himself, and you saw this, if you know if they're in transition and they're running, you know they're they're running the basket. Like Ben Simmons, still ha- he's going to have the ball. Absolutely. And I think having his uh, passing skills out of you know the low post is just going to open a whole lot more. Um, so I'm not too concerned. Embiid, I know some people are poo pooing on him. Not of course, you know. But I, I expect to be fine, um, dude. And like like Tobias Harris for me is, was kind of like the X factor as far as like if there's one guy on a team who can just really take his game to an entire level and really push his team through, it's Tobias Harris. And dude, there's just something about Toby, man, where before the season suspended, you know, he just looks like this young flashy guy with the headband, always smiling, right? Then the league suspends, they come back and dude, he's like a new man. He's like jacked. Dude, he's he fills jacked. out the beard. He's got the beard. Like he looks like a young, ki- young naive kid that like went to war and came back this whole new man. <laughs> and it's just like, shit, I mean, haven't we all everyone. kind of gone to war the past few months, so to speak, in some way or another? Yeah, but especially Toby man. Like he, he looks no, great. For sure. um, so I think he's the one guy I'm kind of looking for. Um, the one guy I'm a little disappointed. I don't know if it's fair to say disappointment. I'd like to see a little bit more out of Josh Richardson. I think part of it is I think Brett Brown's just having a hard time figuring out what his role should be. So um, I think in the first few of these uh, seeding games, as they're calling it, I think you're, they're gonna, it's going to look a lot like these scrimmages or preseason games. Um, 
But I'm, I just really hope by the third or fourth game day, really, you see them take the form or even, you know, a bigger leap from before the league suspended. So, Yeah, and, like, you, you have to see at least somewhat of a minor production from your wings because if that's not going to – if they're not going to produce anything from them, then they're just going to collapse on Simmons trying to bring up. And, you know, Tobias is going to start seeing double teams. It's just – you got to see the guys like Korkmaz and Thibel and Richardson, who's been out for a while. You just – you need somewhat – it's tough to get that level of, like, 40% shooting from, like, your entire wing production, like, especially with a bench like the Sixers have. But it's got to be somewhat of a threat for from the get-go to – get any team to really like have to stretch themselves thin and all Ben Simmons has to do is fake a jump shot and then drive and then boom their whole system is collapsed so there is a lot of potential there for this team especially one that is now out of the quarantine figuring out that their real shot at success could be taking their guy who they drafted as their main point guard and moving him to the four it just it could be as simple as a tweak as that and now you see guys like Shake Milton who want to emerge and Moss who wants to come right off the bench and be that volume shooter that could really just... Those moments where you can't have all your stars in a game, you're still okay. Like, you're not giving up those terrible third-quarter leads. And it's... Sorry, this dog is really cute and it's just pulling me off. <laughs> I'm doing my best at the six. It's such a cute dog. But it's got to be evident from the beginning that they're willing to at least let their players take those shots and they're not willing to just rely so heavily on their two big names that you know, I, I think it'll be a surprise for the league when you have to play them because if they're confident in letting eight or nine guys take those shots, then you know, defenses really have a tough time playing with that, especially with the length of their lineup. And that's the difference between this year's team and the past two that have made semi-deep playoff runs is this team has a bench and this team has wings that's been such a big problem for us in the past is what happens once you get beyond the starters and the starters I could kind of take you know more or less what they gave us through these three scrimmages and say all right well I think they have their legs under them I think they're ready to go and they're still gonna have eight playing games to really figure it all out and get completely warmed up so I'm not worried about them hitting the ground running full speed so to speak I think We'll see that ramp up a little bit over the first two to three games, but we've talked about it on previous episodes, and it's even something that developed last year with Brett Brown when we talked about that silent tournament, and and we've mentioned it before, and that is the thing I thought was encouraging was I thought almost almost everyone on the bench, specifically in that wing rotation, when you talk about Glenn Robinson the third, you know we only saw him for a brief glimpse. I thought he looked really good. Yep. Korkmaz, I think, for the most part has looked good. He didn't look great in the third game either, but I think everyone was kind of just sloppy that third game for the most part. I I don't know what the excuse or reason for that is, but it surely wasn't any one person. And even Alec Burks and even Matisse Steibel, who obviously has taken the city by storm, has been one of the more encouraging rookies for his energy and his defense, but the shooting has really fallen off since December, and I've been one of the bigger critics of him and have not really been sure that I felt confident in him playing a role in this team as the league restarted. I've been very uh, pr- uh, impressed with what he's done so far, and it's not even necessarily the shooting because what he's shown through the three games so far isn't so much the shot as more as the ability on offense to move without the ball and to not just stand in the corner because 
his shot comes and goes. So if that's all you're going to ask of him, I'm not sure that's going to end up being that successful. We saw several very successful attempts at him driving with and without the ball. And that's something you expect from a, an athlete like that, a speed guy like that, an energy guy like that, to be able to do some of those things. And it's something we've screamed about for years. And the only other guy on the bench that, that really comes to mind that I feel can do that is Glenn Robinson the third, which we haven't got to experience too much of yet in Philly, is you know who can come off the bench and be a cutter, be a guy who creates, and especially when you have Ben Simmons. Because we're going to hammer... You know, we're going to beat the dead horse of him making this transition to the four. But like you said, Steve, it doesn't mean that he's not bringing the ball up. It doesn't mean that he's still not playing like a point forward style role. But you're just letting Sheik Milton do a little bit of that by default as well. But we saw in almost every game Ben Simmons teasing a triple-double still. Yep. He's still yeah. getting the assist. And the way he worked from the elbow was was beautiful. So he doesn't have to bring the ball up to still be the facilitator, to still be the playmaker, to still be an elite passer. It's the same thing we've seen from LeBron James at different points in his career. Can he play the point? Yes. If you need him to bring the ball up, can he? Absolutely. Can he just literally bring the ball up and drive and create his own basket? Yeah, but that doesn't have to be the only thing. We've seen LeBron James have a ton of success with point guards around him. Look to his success with the Heat, with Mario Chalmers being a primary point guard on that team. LeBron was not the point guard on that team. Mario Chalmers was a huge part of that team. Chalmers, Wade, Bosch, LeBron, and, you know, uh, some combination of, of whoever... It, it, I mean, the way, it has, has Le, or, hell, Le, LeBron's why uh, Matthew Della de, de, <laughs> Try that again. Della Vidova. He got him. Did you say Bell I did. <laughs> hey, LeBron's a reason why he got paid way, way, way more money than he should have. But in that system uh, at that I time. I don't know about that, but it was definitely a factor. But yeah. But yeah, um, so I think the most encouraging thing really was the bench, and I think that if you're feeling if you're feeling optimistic about anything for this, you know, we talked early on the podcast about not comparing previous versions of teams to other ones when they're not really the same team. Yeah, that if you are going to sit there and talk about, oh, this is the same team that has been knocked in the second round two years in a row. Well, both years they had no bench. This team has a bench. This yeah. team has a plethora of bench players that you're going to be able to play the hot hand. And Matisse Seibel goes out there and bricks shots and isn't and you know is is missing those uh, you know premeditated steal attempts and, and as a result leaving a, a, a lapse in defense, you know, he's not going to play. And if Alec Burks isn't going to be able to hit pull-up shots and play a pick and roll game in sparse minutes, then he's not going to play. And if Furkan Korkmaz goes out there and starts airballing threes and gets run off the line and can't get that floater to fall, which he's added to his game, which is great, but you know when it's not falling, there's not a whole lot else he brings, then, then he's not going to play. So you're going to be able to rotate these guys out. When they talk about Brett Brown saying he's going to start with probably a 10-man rotation and working that down to 8 or 9, I think those numbers are right, but I think the misconception is people are thinking – trying to think of it in a way where they say, all right, who are the eight guys? And it's not going to be the same eight guys. There will be eight people who play in a game, but if the eighth guy has a bad game, then the next game it might be a different eighth guy. Or there might be nine guys that game to see, you know, who's going to take over that spot, if anybody. So it's definitely going to be kind of a, a spinning door, and it's scary to an extent, but I also think that it's a decent problem to have. Yes. That... You're not stuck 
you know, last year they got so desperate to the point that after declining Korkmaz's option and basically writing him off, he was playing minutes in the Toronto series. And even me, again, you know, number one Korkmaz guy, I was like, dude, you can't play him right now. He hasn't <laughs> played for months. He's probably walk, going back to Europe this summer. Like, what the hell yeah. are we doing? That's how desperate they got. That will not be the situation this year. There will be no, why the hell is Furkan in this game? There will be no, why is Greg Monroe playing center? Oh. There will be no small ball five Mike Scott. None dude, of those. There will be no dude, impossible like, to start Boban yeah. Marjanovic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, and even like Norvell Pella as your third center is way miles and head better than Greg so, Monroe. So good, it really like, is. He's, um, and, and you know, like what's great about him is like he knows his role. Like he's you know, rim runner, protecting the basket. Like and then, and then apparently he can just you know. Chuck up a uh, corner three out Absolutely. of nowhere with time running down. So Stop. that's a great that uh, yeah. Talk about a <laughs> shooting forty percent off the bench, Paul. You know, from three. There you go. So maybe. Um, but one player we haven't talked about yet was who I had as MVP of the scrimmage league, Al Horford. I mean, I would probably say Tobias Harris, but I understand what you're saying here. And if we have to tell that to Al Horford to give him a confidence bump, because I know yeah. Tobias doesn't need it. Then by all means, let's go. Because I'm in his ear, so. I'll right, of that. course, obviously. <laughs> There's nobody that can't hear so you good. when you yep. want to yep. be heard. <laughs> but, yeah, Horford did have a great three games. Obviously, we, we've said it time and time again that we thought the time off was going to be beneficial for several Sixers, and Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Al Horford were clearly at the top of that list. And I think the biggest concern on that list was probably Shake Milton because he was so mm. hot. When it ended, but clearly to this point, I don't think he, he cooled off a little bit, so to speak. But you were never going to sustain the pace he was at anyway. No. So I don't know if yeah. you can even call it cooling off as much as coming back to earth. But clearly, and to give Brett credit, because we talked about earlier, I mentioned him and Doug Peterson both being guys that I wish they were proactive sooner than they are because the moves they make tend to work well. I just think sometimes they're too late that I think. Could Brett have pulled that trigger a little earlier? Maybe. But I don't think anyone was really saying, hey, Shake Milton needs to be the starter back then. And Brett pulled right. that trigger, and boy, did he hit a home run with that one. So I have to give him credit there. But Horford did look good. I mean, what are you expecting, you know, minutes per game when it really counts? Maybe not so much the exhibition games because that may fluctuate depending. But, you know, come the playoffs, I mean, what are you, what are you actually expecting to see Al Horford out there for him, and he's obviously not going to start. Do you think? I mean, I would probably set the over under for him at like twenty five minutes. So, so you're thinking over under twenty five? They're still a game? doing forty eight minute games. Yeah, right? they were just doing. It's just for the, the scrimmages. scrimmages okay. yeah, 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 that was the first uh, one or two. So yeah, so twenty five seems about right. I so I can't give you a number only because it's going to depend. I didn't ask you for a number. I asked you for a, to pick over or under. Jerk. See, uh, okay. I'm going to say under, but only that's because it's going to really depend on who they're playing in the series. Uh, if and when they meet Milwaukee, Al Horford's definitely getting more than 25 I minutes. agree with that, for sure. Um, now, if they're playing someone like the Nets, probably don't need them as much. Um, and I'm okay with giving Al Horford less minutes and you know, the first or second round, if it means we're getting a lot more Al Horford later in the playoffs. So it's, you know, the NBA is all about matchups, as they say. So I think a lot of it's going to be matchup driven. Um, but I, I think I see him getting between 18 to 20 a game on average. So, wow, that's much lower. Yeah. So it's, what do you think, Paul? 
What's that? I mean, you're floating right in the middle there of just it is. See, I do have an over under. Yeah, situational. I'll go under. I'll go under 25. I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Correct. Fair enough. I I think it also comes down a lot to foul trouble. Like you just don't want to see them get too physical early in games, and then it's like you have to bring Al in to like play the five, and it's that's never something. I you think in the playing games, I'd be to. fine with that if if that happens. And the same thing with Norvell Pell. I mean, especially you know if Embiid gets three fouls early, and also at the same time of trying to preserve him for the actual playoffs, let let Pell run. You know, I. I know a lot. A lot of the people that cover the Blue Coats, myself definitely included in this, but a lot of people that I've known that have covered that team, we do tend to really get biased to those guys because we get so close with them because we have such more interaction with them than you get at, at the pro level when, when covering the team. But like Norvell Pell is one of those guys that I know most people would say that like he's probably not getting any minutes in the playoffs, and and I'm not expecting anything out of him. But I really don't think that like. If you're if you're doing the minutes chart type of deal that you can do, and you're blocking that out, I really don't hate the idea of like, you know, the last four minutes of the first half of just letting him run for a couple minutes of just sparing him beat and you know one of those guys a couple extra rest and obviously like probably no second half minutes, but you know is it easy for a guy to probably get up for four minutes a game? I don't know, but Pell's a guy I think can do it. High energy. Would just love to see him get in there, but. I don't think that it happens, but I really think that it might not be the worst idea. This team has no rim runner. I think that kind of center, even being as raw and as... Like, if he played significant minutes, he'd foul out in no time. But in a very, very small number of minutes, a guy like that alongside it, like, if you have shakes set at that point, you let Ben run the point, you let him do, you know, some screen and roll and, and have Pell be a rim runner, I think they could cause a little bit of havoc yeah. just for a few minutes, just a little <laughs> thing to throw in there. Another thing teams have to plan for, have to look at, have to, have to prepare for. And this team especially, I think, when you look at them, always seems to kind of end almost every quarter pretty poorly, especially the third. Hmm. We know this has been historically yeah. a bad third quarter team. Mm. But I don't think any halves are generally all that great either for the most part. And you bring in an energy guy like that just to you know create some energy blocks on defense, rim run a little bit, I, I think there could be some benefit to that. But I don't expect it. I would just really like to see it. No, I, I would really like to see it as well because – as we saw last year, Embiid played way too many minutes, especially in that Toronto series. And, and what did Brett say? He he expects for him now 38 a Yeah, game 38. Ball? No, no way. <laughs> no. And, 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 dude, like, whether it's foul trouble or, God forbid, uh, Embiid injury, like, imagine having Pell and um, Al Horford out on the floor. Like, I mean, it, it, it could work, man. It could definitely so, work. And it's just – Small uh, stints, but it can work. Yeah, and go back to what you said about – like, I know we're little homers when it comes to uh, the blue coats, but – Of course. It's, it's just, like, they've done – Delaware's be, best team. It can't be said, like, how great it is because, you know, like, we talk about Shake Milton. Like, you know, if they didn't, you know, have that system in place down in Delaware, who we're going to have, like, starting in the line – like, Paul Neto, like, do we want him being a starting point guard in the playoffs? Like, I – well, His, definitely not starting. No, but it's just you're. It makes a world of a difference having to shake Milne. That just you know, the raw talent he has. Plus, you know, he knows the offense and everything. I, I just think that's that's going to pay off big time. All right, so th- this isn't Sixers related, but I, I want to talk about this just for a minute because I feel like it's on brand for us. And then I have a little game to play with everybody. So we've got to talk about Lou Williams because. I swear to God, if you actually read this headline, you wouldn't believe that it's real. But Lou Williams, after being excused from the bubble, 
to go to a funeral, went to a strip club in Atlanta where there were no girls dancing just to get wings, which were named after him. Lou Will Lemon Pepper Barbecue. The craziest part to me was I read this and I said, I went to a strip club and there weren't any girls there? You really went for the food? No, the most surprising part is that Lou Williams has wings named after him. That's not that surprising. That's not that surprising to me. But you go when the girls are there. We, We had tacos at a strip club, but there were girls dancing. But, but he has wings named after him at a strip club? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How well, do you, you can't name deal? a girl after, like, that's the only thing you can really be named after unless you buy the club, so. Fair. Fair. But I just want to know, did he actually go to a funeral, though, before going to the strip club? That's that's what I'm finding out. Because, or was that I mean, the pregame? Or, that's a good point because, you know, at my funeral, I mean, that would be, you know, a good spot to go to afterwards, so. um didn't know that's an option till now, so thanks, Lou Williams, for the Not ideas. bearing you on an empty I have to stomach, update man. my will and get wings named after me. And it, it was funny to see because the strip club has a Twitter account, and they actually posted their menu online like the day, a day or two after <laughs> that came out. And they're like, just in case anybody's interested, here's the menu for us. And I was like, that's a pretty big flex. And I was looking at it, and I was like, I'm pretty sure for like 30 bucks they had like like a rack of lamb with uh, with two sides or something, and I'm like, for strip club food, I said, that seems like a pretty decent price. That's why I went there. Yeah, I mean. No, I did, <laughs> I did not go to Atlanta. The strip I, I clubs wanna... were driving by in Northeast Philly. Like, clearly, these are highbrow establishments. Yes. Very tasteful. Are and they, though? I'm, I'm sure they're up to OSHA violation on everything. <laughs> and for as much uh, damage is done to Lou Williams, I just really hope this club in this tough times, really, have uh, been making money off wings now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to make it somehow. But, so this was the uh, this was the description, apparently, from Lou Williams about these wings, which is one of the greatest things, I think. Like, I don't know if he was, like, an English major, but, like, this, th- this is art. This is absolutely, like, I'm sure the wings are art, but his, his description of them is art. Here's the quote. But, y'all, the reason why I came here... <laughs> The wings. Those mother-clucking wings. I didn't change that. That's what he said. Delivered to you by gods on the other side of a tiny little window. Pro tip, bring cash only or else you're starving. Card will get you nowhere here. I entered Nirvana when I hit into the first wing. I could hear the deafening crispy crunch. That's the one thing that's weird. I could hear the deafening crispy crunch. (laughs) Do they smell like teen spirit too? (laughs) Over the loud music... And conversation. It just became me and the chicken wing and no one else around. I can relate to that. The perfect amount of sauce so you weren't begging for napkins. Oh, y'all. The right amount of salt so you weren't done after just two. The medium wings had just the right amount of heat that you weren't sucking in your mouth. Paired with a cold beer or drink to cleanse your mouth before the next bite, it was perfection. And the fries are my favorite type. Basically steak fries, little golden pillows of heaven. They were so good, we ordered another box. Now, it could have been the alcohol tasting this food. And who knows if I'll feel the same way about those wings when I'm sober. But I'd like to think it's the part of the magic of Magic City that made those wings taste so damn good. Is that like a Facebook post or is that a Yelp review? Is it the game who Yelps better? 
him or your wives? No. <laughs> so the game is that, I mean, the headline to me reads like a Mad Lib. Okay. So I <laughs> made a tiny little Mad Lib here. And I want you guys to fill in oh, yes. the spots, and then we can see what we come up with. So okay. we, we'll, we'll okay. go around the table here. So, Mason, we'll start with you so you can participate. Okay. So, on this day in history, proper noun. It doesn't have to be a sports figure? No. I'll just, I mean, I'll go, I'll go Flyers. Uh, Pelly Lindbergh. <laughs> okay. Steve? On this day in history, Pelly Lindbergh was the number. Was the number two. Number two. Okay. Paul. On this day in history, Pelly Lindbergh was the second player to verb. Electric slide. I like it. Mason, on this day in history, Pelly Lindbergh was the second player to electric slide for number. For uh, uh, 218. Okay. Steve, on this day in history, Pelly Lindbergh was the second player to electric slide for 218 points, despite his team, the team name. The Flyers. No. Boo. That doesn't Paul, start last, to 2021. Paul, last one. On this day in history, Pelly Limber was the second player to electric slide for 218 points, despite his team, the Flyers, losing the noun. The race. So, our ad, or our Mad Lib to try and beat Lou Williams' headline. So, I'll read ours and then Lou Williams' headline, and you can tell me which is crazier. On this day in history, Pelly Lindbergh was the second player to electric slide for 218 points, despite his team, the Flyers, losing the race. Or, Lou Williams went to a strip club after a funeral when no girls were working to get wings named after him. All right, so ours is definitely crazier, but Lou Williams is more believable. Yeah, I guess maybe. <laughs> Who's who electric slides for any points in any game? <laughs> Bro, have you ever seen uh what what's the uh what's the movie where the two teams have to dance? Oh man. Bring it on. Oh yeah. Or like you got served. They have points, right? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea how it actually works. I mean, the way Pelly Lindbergh slid across the ice to get over to the next post, you know, I mean, he had 218 points. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so clearly Mason has taken us into the hockey portion oh, yeah. of the pod, so we'll make that smooth I'll transition. I'll see myself out. I even, I even touched the mic in over, yeah, like, 40 minutes. Oh, it's so real smooth You there. just gave us Pelly Lindbergh. Oh, for sure. Oh, hey, yeah. Uh, all right, correction, <laughs> at 35 minutes, then. Please stop. <laughs> You got and he says my cracking jokes are bad. I'm gonna Sheesh. I'm gonna bring up Dave Mira more times than you can count <laughs> if you do that one more time. Under, understood. <laughs> so moving on to the Flyers, the the only real taste of the Flyers we got to this point, they did scrimmage against the Pens. Mm-hmm. My notes from this sloppy start. The Pens gave them a lot of chances. I don't expect to see from mm-hmm. any of the round robin teams, especially them all getting up to speed as as well as us. The third a little sloppy, but my, my, my biggest takeaways player-wise, I thought Carter Hart looked great for the most part. Mm-hmm. 
And I also thought that Hayes Drew and Couturier came out, skates under them, ready to play. I was a little upset with the first Hayes scoring, uh, real scoring chance he had that he mm-hmm. wasn't able to, to get that backhand. Yeah. Uh, past Murray, but he, he came through later, again, on, on what was kind of a gift. But whatever, you bury them, you bury them. For sure, uh, right place, right time. Yeah, and, and hey, that, that's kind of been his shtick all year. So the fact that that hasn't worn off mm-hmm. uh, with all the time off is great to see. What, what were your takeaways from watching that Flyers game against the Pats? I mean, I was, ex- I was expecting some sloppy play regardless. I mean, and if you watch any exhibition game right now, um, I think today's the last day for them before tomorrow goes into the, uh, the, the round robins and everything. If you watch any of these games, I mean, there's a lot of sloppy play. There was a few passes, especially in that game, where it looked like, a roller hockey team playing at skaters, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you know, for, for lack of a better term, uh, there was just, like you know, it's just some backhand passes, blind passes that you know really go no, you know, go nowhere, and they they just end up being turnovers, you know. So there's a few passes like that, and I think even Hayes's goal was off of one of those, you know. So uh, I was expecting the the sloppy play. Carter Hart, I mean, he was he was fine. I mean, he let in the you know the one uh, from Sheary over the shoulder. Uh, I feel like that's in you know you're either going to drop or you're going to stay you know so he he drops dropped the shoulder goes in you know he didn't see too too many shots but I mean he was he was there for two periods he was fine uh, I thought Elliot I actually thought Elliot played better than than Hart but I mean it was just like what what came to him uh, ultimately he lets in the uh, the second goal to tie it you know two a couple minutes left uh, in the third period but uh, you know I, I you know I, I thought overall I was. I was cautiously optimistic going in. I think, you know, even we said that in the last pod, I was excited for them, you know, to get back into play and everything. But with uh, coming out of that game, especially the way that they won that game, I, I, I got a little bit more excited for what's to come. Now, so the, the, we just talked about the Sixers. Now, they played three scrimmage games to get ready for an eight-game play into the playoffs. The Flyers play one scrimmage, and all of a sudden start this round robin. Do you think that they should have played a little more before I, ramping up like this? I would have loved to have seen them play more. Uh, I, I'm almost scared to see what happens. I was uh, just talking to Steve about it, too. And uh, maybe I was talking to – I don't know if I was talking to you about it, actually. I was talking to somebody about everyone it. about the Flyers. I know, yeah. talking Flyers. So, you know, the you have – four teams that are going into this round robin to, to pick the seeding and they each get three games these other mm-hmm. these other teams they're getting five they're getting five games you know and well potentially yeah yeah that, yeah that's fair uh, but even so that more of that play that's coming in for some of those teams could be better for them you know granted the flyers and, and whoever you know whatever the seeding plays out those teams are going to be well rested for sure but sometimes that momentum really helps teams you know you see yeah. you know you see teams come out of you know you know a seven game playoff stint right into the next game in, into a team that's well rested and everything they may have you know they may have sweep the other team you know but that other team has they've been they they kept that momentum, momentum going exactly yeah. you know so uh, I I really wish they would have had something along those lines where there there's a little bit more exhibition and everything but again these are weird times too so for sure y- you work with what you got I think I think I would agree with you for the mo- I definitely think they should have played more beforehand but when you look at the round robin versus the best of five I I think I would agree with you for the most part but I think some counter arguments to that would be one the good thing for them is that. Number one, they're only playing the three games. They're playing the three games against the three best teams in the East. Mm-hmm. So 
your your competition is above is amongst the best, mm-hmm. and that's going to prepare you very well for whatever you end up running into. Whether they they you know don't benefit from this and, and go one and two zero oh, and three or whatever and end up as like a four seed or somehow they mm-hmm. come out on top. Either way, I think it's going to really prepare you and sharpen your game and and make you play at your best going into what follows. So I think that's a benefit. And the other thing is, while they may play less games and maybe get a little less opportunity. The fact that their schedule is a little more spaced out but still has consistent play mm-hmm. is a nice combination of rest but still playing. Because it's not like they're going to finish this round robin and be sitting around another week waiting for the best of five. Like they're mm-hmm. cramming those in the same window as the round robin happening. So, yeah. you know, they're going to play a lot but still be able to be pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. Where a team could come out of that best of five, you know, they may, they you assume you're mm-hmm. going to come out of a best of five, three, two, mm-hmm. you're going to have taken some lumps, you're going to have had some bad games as well, mm-hmm. and you may come out, you know, much more worse for the wear, where the Flyers, even if they come out 2 1 1 2, could have a real, you know, a good win, a real tough loss, and then maybe a bad game, but they're feeling good, their legs are a little fresher, and they've figured out. What works, what doesn't make the adjustments, and really come out swinging against mm-hmm. the next opponent. I think a lot of those teams, even on that lower ender, are going to have a lot of the more of those bumps and bruises going into you know a, a normal playoff setting. Uh, you know, just because there's so much to prove in so little time with a lot of those teams, I'm actually really excited for hockey, not just Flyers, but hockey overall, because some of those games are going to get very competitive. Oh, you know, sure. yeah. um, I, I'm. And playoff hockey is always that way, oh. and I think even more so now with everybody having fairly fresh legs. These first, uh, you know, just these qualifying series as well, I think they're going to be way more intense than you would imagine them being. Like, they're going to be really high-caliber mm-hmm. playoff hockey. Maybe not the first one when mm-hmm. some of these teams are still getting their legs under them, but you get to Game 3, Game 4 of all those series, and even not technically being the playoffs yet, they're going to have intense playoff hockey mm-hmm. feel. Oh, definitely. I mean, even even like just the exhibition game, while they're still getting getting some rust off, there's some chippy play happening. Um, you know, even in the uh, uh, I was going to say we had the the you know the fight between uh, the the Panthers and the Bolts the other night. You know, Boyle just uh, you know pounding into the, I forget who he, who he was fighting, but it was just good to see that that sort of competitiveness in what's really just an exhibition game. You know, so uh, definitely curious to see what's going to happen. Honestly, with how competitive it's going to get, I'm almost a little scared for what's going to happen Sunday against the Bruins. Uh, the Bruins played the, uh, the Blue Jackets. Uh, I was going to say, it wasn't maybe it was last night. I'm mixing up my days uh, in quarantine, but that was that was a rough game for them. I mean, they, they come out of it, you know, losing 4-1. to one. Blue Jackets have a strong start. They get pasta to get the, the goal in the second, but they, they, they don't, they can't compete against them, you know. I mean, that's another, I mean, that goes, you know, for, for torts for, for Jack Adams as, as well, but I mean, that's a very competitive team. Uh, and, you know, I'm definitely curious to see uh, what's, you know, really what's going to happen with that and, of course, with the game Sunday. Yeah, so, you know, looking ahead to that game against Boston on Sunday and this round robin series, it's we, we were kind of talking about this the last time that, that we did a Pucks and Potables episode, which you can follow on Twitter at Pucks PPN. But uh, I saw this graphic when I was watching the, the exhibition versus the Pens that, if I recall correctly, I think we're 7-1-1 one, one against these three teams that we're round robining. The only mm-hmm. team that's beat us in regulation is Boston. Mm-hmm. We're 2-1 against them. I think it was the Capitals were 2-0-1 oh, and, and the Bolts 2-0. and oh. So... You've got to feel pretty good going into that. You just kind of preface that you don't feel great about about Boston, which is Sunday, 3 p.m. 
on NBC, what, what is your prediction for that game? And I, I don't think not, not even as much about outcome. Obviously, I, I want to hear a, an outcome prediction, but you know, what what do you kind of expect to see from both teams as far as you know how they come out of the gate and, and you know how it how it actually ends. Well, I think the Flyers are going to come in with some confidence beating beating the Pens in exhibition. I thought that was a great way to win. I mean, you know, Knackney passing that down the ice to Lawton, and it was just. So I'm getting excited clean. talking about it. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of confidence there, but I think the Bruins also are going to come in with something to prove. They had a really bad game against the Blue Jackets, and they need some sort of redemption with that, and they're going to find redemption in that round robin to hopefully place themselves in a better spot and you know come playoffs. You know, So I think it's going to be a much more competitive game than that Flyers-Pens game. So who knows, man? So prediction. Prediction. got to give a prediction. Oh, God. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a tight game. I would like to think it's going to be a tight game. I would go maybe like a, a 4-3 kind of game. That's high yeah. scoring. Yeah. I, say I think it's... Two, yeah. What's yeah, that? It, it seems tight. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like that matchup is just like... Because both teams from a fitness it's standpoint, they're, it's always going to be fun. Like, playoff hockey is always going to be now, fun. Now, just because just, it's playoff hockey doesn't mean every game is going to be tight. I mean, there's been some... It also doesn't some, mean it's going to be fun. Some blowouts, Flyers yeah. Flyers fans. We've had plenty of not fun in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, Exactly. We threw yeah. bracelets on the ice and got a game misconduct. <laughs> yeah. We were there. We were We did there. not participate. We, yeah. I, we I, are good boys. I still haven't found that bracelet, by the way. It's it's around somewhere. I wanted <laughs> I, to wear I that. Be, I believe you had it, and I, I know I had it. should have given out two. One to throw. <laughs> no. One to keep. No. no I'm pretty <laughs> sure when I got there, I like put a picture of social media, and I said, these are getting thrown. Like it was so. Like why would you give these? They were such projectiles. So, it's the reason they don't have glass bottles at stadiums right. anymore. Yeah, because there's so many things they already don't do. So here's here's what that was. Um, the the very first game of that season I was at, and they gave out those bracelets because it was the 50th anniversary of of the Flyers, and it had like this little you know, little emblem on it. Oh, 50, 50 years of Flyers hockey, you know, so they handed them out and no one threw those at that game because it was like the first game, la da were, sure. you know, it's it's fine. And they were like, okay, great. Let's try this for another playoff game. Yeah, let's Meanwhile, try for a game that matters yeah. that we're not going now the I'm way. So, now your bracelets suck. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think they, they, you know, they they had such a good experience with the, with the first game that this game was just a yikes, you know, and everyone <laughs> throws it on the ice. So, huge weekend for Philadelphia sports. Obviously, Sixers tomorrow night, 7 p.m. on NBC Sports. And then Sunday, the Flyers get into round-robin action, 3 p.m. on NBC National Game. Guys, we did it. We hit all five Philadelphia teams. I thought this was really great conversation. Uh, I'm not only happy to have done this and to hung out here at Axe and Arrow. Thanks to them for having us. Obviously, thanks for the tremendous beers uh, that we have been drinking, but... Um, I'm so looking forward to this weekend worth of games and all of next week, a, a full slate of NBA and NHL action. Cancel the MLB season. Can it. It's done. <laughs> Goodbye. We have soccer. We have basketball. We have hockey. We have hockey. I'm, I'm chilling. I'm good. I'm off Yay, for the hockey. next nine, possibly ten days to oh. sit inside Ooh. and watch sports oh. all the time. I'm very excited for that. Steve, you have, you have something else? Yes, but, but before we wrap up, I want to East. Ask each of you a question pertaining to sport you've spoken out of. Just quick, rapid fire. Yeah. Asking you to. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Freaking Eric Fischoff over here. Um, so, Dan, where, how far do you see the Sixers going into the playoffs? Based off what we've known and talked about, what's your gut telling you? So, my gut tells me that 
they're going to end up the five seed. Okay. Which means they're going to play Miami. They're going to beat Miami in the first round. And that means they're going to face Toronto in the second. And I think they can beat Toronto. Okay. I really do. Yeah. There's no Kawhi. Mm -hmm. I feel confident they can win that, which means they're going to face the winner of Milwaukee-Boston. If it's somehow Boston, they can they can beat them. Yes. If it's Milwaukee, I, you know I'd rather face I'd rather face Boston than Milwaukee as far as probability of winning. I'd rather face Milwaukee so that we don't have to hear, oh well you didn't beat Milwaukee because it's going to be really annoying. You know everybody's going to say it, but I would probably say Boston. I'd give them like a sixty forty chance. Milwaukee, I'd probably look at it as maybe 35-65. I'd probably favor Milwaukee. So if they see Milwaukee, assuming they get there healthy, I think they're out there. They face Boston. I think they beat them. They go to the finals. And I think they can beat any West team. I'm not scared of anybody in the West. I'm more scared of Milwaukee, Milwaukee than the yeah. Lakers or the Clippers. You should, as you should uh, be. <laughs> if they face the Lakers, they might sweep them. Ooh. If they face the Clippers, it's going to be rough. You know, but I think you they know, Bron Bron's not going to let them get swept. But I do believe that the Sixers can absolutely. Match I, up it'll with be them a gentleman's sweep. I just, yeah. I just don't know if the, by the time the Lakers get there, what shape they're in. Yeah, with how yeah. many of their guys just got pulled off the off the. You see street. how many minutes Jr. Smith's getting? We got Jr. Smith. We got Dion Waiters. We got Joakim Noah. <laughs> like, like literally, yeah. they're pulling like an NBA Street Two team back. In action, like Win this I, game I just don't know. So, so at, this, at this point, I'm pretty confident that the Eastern Conference Finals are still the play. That's yeah. probably the safe bet. But I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm rooting for a chip, man. I'm, 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 I'm gonna believe. I really, I have to believe. Okay, I need it. So, Mason, I got a serious Flyers question for you. Shoot, who would you predict? What future former Flyer? Will most likely be selected by the Kraken in the expansion draft. <laughs> Think of a quick list of guys who wouldn't I be unprotected and would be a future Kraken. I hate you so much. <laughs> that is the worst question I've ever been That's asked. The best joke Steve Cole <laughs> oh, has ever God. made in the history of the pod. Who's so who's who, who, who currently on the Flyers? Is probably yeah, who currently go. on the Flyers? Because. With every sport, right? There's an expansion draft, and there's a certain number of spots no. where it's definitely law. I was going to say it's probably law. Yeah, it's definitely like they're, law. They're, they're obviously keeping coots. I I don't know. Uh, I I, I think if you Raffle? asked me that last year, I think if you asked me last year, I probably would have said Voracek. You know, I mean, like I had I've had so much gripe about him just sitting at the nice blue line. Out of that I had so much gripe about him. I mean, JVR. but this year, but this year he's been great. I think JVR wants to stay though. Yeah, but like, I mean, if they don't. Well, I mean, him. yeah, yeah, but they don't protect animals? him. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fair. But, I mean, I, I would agree with Dan. I, I, think, okay. I think Lawton. All right, and Paul, last question. Not if, but when Ray Gaddis scores a goal, how are you going to riot? And what charity are you going to donate to? Well, it's, I, it's Ray's choice, right? It is Ray's choice. Oh, that's right. Choice. choice. He's got quite a few of them. Uh, I think the first. Are you going to streak through Penn Salkin? Are you going to get a tattoo? Ooh, tattoo bet. How are you going to how, how are you going to riot? No, uh, so everyone in union <laughs> Not enough. True. 
everyone tells me that uh, if he does score, I have to drive over to Chester. I have to drive over to the Lammer Brewery, and I have to buy everyone a beer, Ooh. which is which okay. is. I'll fine. be there. Okay. But yeah, I mean, We're there. get there if you get there. You know, I can't promise how long I'll be there. But um, <laughs> you know, like last, I mean, I've been doing this for years. Like last year, I said if he scored a goal, I'd build a statue and like hold like a town hall of me with a dunce cap on, and it's just like everyone's <laughs> like, I can't wait to see that and. Never Steve happen. keeps offering it to do that, happens. and we just don't want, so, want to. So, like, no, what's no going to make this year any different? But, no, I mean, I'll hold to my word. I, I interviewed Ray Gaddis a few months ago, and he's such a down-to-earth guy. Like, there's... He really is, like, only, a good person. Yes, like, he's like, he, there's know, so he's, much more he's better at in this world than soccer, which is saying a lot, because there's so many things, like, he's uber-talented at and will clearly do great, amazing things in this world from... You know, a business standpoint from, like, just being a great human being and stuff. But my thing is I stick to soccer. I watch the tape. And, you know, objectively across the board, he's been the worst player on that team. With the exception being last night's game. He really, really impressed me. If that's a sign of things to come, guess what? It's a win-win because now the team's just totally complete. And they will go dominate the Eastern Conference. But if he doesn't, then I just get to gripe him like every week. I mean, it's, yeah, like, it's kind of like get, Al Horford. I'm like the only person who really hey, like, I give talks. him credit. He leans into it, you know? He, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, if Al Horford sucks, we just rip on him and we're fine with it. But if Al Horford's great, then we're just like, hey, good. Yeah, sometimes this, it's this, great. Yeah, exactly. This is what like, we paid for. Thank you for doing what I want you to do. It's <laughs> yeah. just like I'm not mad. at a level that reaches the I'm not the mad bar. if Al Horford <laughs> drops 30 tomorrow against Indiana. Not at all. Yeah, everyone's acting like it's a big deal to like someone that they've previously hated. Yeah. Your opinion can change. Only Sith's deal in absolutes. Right? You can't Ooh. absolutely hate one player across the board. Well, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to be a Sith and say that I think we're absolutely done doing this podcast. Yes, so. yes. Fair enough. <laughs> Paul, thank you. Everybody check out Views from the Bridge if you're looking for union coverage for a union podcast. Make sure to check that out. Steve, my co-host, as always. Mason, our host for Pucks and Potables. If you're looking for Flyers coverage, follow that on Twitter at PucksPPN. I am Dan, your host of Process Potables of the Podcast Potables Network, Corey Engineering, and our host of Power Bombs and Potables at Power Bombs PPN on Twitter. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out here at Axe and Arrow on the campus of Rowan University. Have a great night. Go Sixers, go Flyers, go Union. Cancel baseball and don't play football. Trust the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>